0: When we get the, yep, there it is. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today we continue with our free three-day summit on how healers healer. We're going to be talking to 24 amazing female physicians who have their stories in this book. There's actually 33 stories in the book. I'll be linking in the chat in the show notes where you can get this book, and each day we'll be meeting eight or nine of them. And today, allow me to introduce Dr. Renee Thomason.
1: Hi, thank you, Chef AJ. I'm very, very, very excited to be able to participate in this summit. Um, I want to start off by kind of first introducing my colleague, um, Dr. Gorey. Um, Dr. Gorey is a board certified um, Obgyn. Um, she's also board certified in lifestyle medicine. Um, she has a strong emphasis on women's health and their well-being. Um, Dr. Gurry understands the unique needs and challenges of women at every stage of life. Um, she is a trusted advocate. Um, she completed her medical school education at the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine. She also pursued her residency um, at ob at Ascension Healthcare Systems in Detroit, Michigan. Um, she's now residing in sunny Florida, sunny Central Florida. She chairs an active lifestyle with her three children, her supportive husband, and her beloved Bernadoodle. Um, Oh, What's the Bernadoodle's name? Henry. Oh, I love it. Um, Dr. Gorey is also passionate about delivering meaningful health solutions. Um, she combines her expertise in evidence-based gynecology with the transformative principles of lifestyle medicine. Um, Her holistic approach addresses a broad range of women's health concerns, including conditions such as PCOS, uh, infertility, metabolic syndrome, and menopause.
2: Awesome. Take it over, Dr. Glory. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chef AJ. Thank you, Dr. Thomason. It is such a pleasure to be here. So the introduction um, kind of gives a little bit of my background and who I am and where I am, but really who I am is rooted deeply in lifestyle medicine, except I did not know that there was a name for this back then when I was going through my journey. So currently, just to kind of tell you where I am right now, currently, I am practicing as a gynecologist with Alara Health, which is this amazing collaborative platform, where I get to merge two things that I absolutely love to do and very passionate about. I get to deliver evidence based gynecology in terms of chronic hormonal women's health conditions, specifically like conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome, metabolic syndrome, thyroid conditions, perimenopause, and menopause. And I get to use the concepts of lifestyle medicine in this unique space where it has just not really been addressed as. As over time and with years of practice in the traditional clinical setting myself, I just was never able to spend the time with my patients that I, the way that I wanted to and help patients make meaningful changes and offer sustainable solutions so that they can live their best life, take control of these hormonal conditions that were plaguing them, and be able to really reduce the risks for long-term health diseases and complications. So when I was approached to have this opportunity to work for Alara. We get to marry, you know, again, evidence-based medicine, gynecology. We get to marry lifestyle medicine. We have the support of a registered dietitian team that gives us meaningful solutions to our patients. And really, we get to meet our patients where they are in their life experiences and come up with strategies to empower our patients so that they can be better. All of this is so it's my passion project and the reason why i am super super excited about it i mean literally i can't stop talking about it people are my my closest family circle and my unit are like enough we don't want to hear you talk about this anymore but i'm so passionate about it because i personally have struggled with a lot of these conditions and when i was going through my journey it was so piecemeal and i was trying to get solutions and trying to get answers and even as an educated provider in this space i could not get the answers that i was looking for i knew that so many of the conditions that i was struggling for struggling with excuse me had a there was a tremendous impact of my lifestyle on what was happening to me but i had no idea how i didn't know how to approach this every time i would talk to my own providers It was, you know, it was, I was given a medication, I was given a prescription, I was given something to temporarily stop what was happening, but not necessarily get to the root cause of how I can actually help myself be better. So I'd like to read a little bit from my book, um, from my chapter in the book. This is chapter 21. And this just kind of highlights a little bit of my journey. And um, I hope you enjoy A journey of hope from burnout to blessings, how lifestyle medicine saved me. I don't recall if there was a defining moment that made me change. All I know is that I could not continue down the same path. There were so many times that my health took a backseat to the continued imbalance of work and life. The irony of the situation was that I was supposed to be the one promoting a healthier lifestyle for others. I was supposed to give advice on diet, and nutrition for women during adolescence, reproductive years, and menopause. The truth was, there were many times that I felt like a fraud. My personal journey and unhealthy relationship with food and exercise began in my teenage years. Somewhere along the way, on my quest to perfection and acceptance, I learned that food and later exercise was the perfect buffer for discomfort. The discomfort was subtle sometimes. It came in the form of a bad grade on a test, And at other times, it was a blatant rejection or discrimination. Regardless, I never developed the coping skills that I needed to lean into the discomfort, but rather did everything in my power to make it disappear quickly. As the years went by, I became embroiled in the rituals of practicing medicine as an OBGYN physician and learned more maladaptive behaviors that would continue to buffer the stress of trying to balance work and life. While my story is not unique for overachievers, I was so deep in this reality that I began to wear it like a badge of honor. I suffered in silence with infertility and miscarriages for many years and would rub salt in my wounds by having to put a smile on my face and take care of pregnant women daily. Instead of embracing trauma, I pushed through it and continued to overwork and numb the pain. While most people embarked on their infertility journey with fierce determination, I found myself fitting it in, busy uh, fitting my treatments in uh, during my busy day. I would never dream of this type of schedule for my patient, yet somehow it was totally acceptable for me. Eventually, we were blessed with our children, but the stress of work and now family life took on a whole new form. My friends and family were in awe of how I was able to manage all the things. I I would. be able to work many sleepless nights, and then go on to plan the perfect kid's birthday party. I took, I took the accolades that were thrown at me as an accomplishment, rather than the true, that my overloaded schedule was slowly chipping away at my physical and mental health. Slowly, I developed insulin resistance, borderline diabetes, elevated cholesterol, autoimmune thyroid disease, and gastrointestinal reflux, even though I looked completely healthy on the outside. Initially, I was very regimented with diet and exercise. And as with anything, if I worked hard enough, I was certain I could beat my fate. Unfortunately, that was not enough because of the constant stress and lack of sleep in the background. I tried every diet and healthy way of living. Subconsciously, I began to chase a number on the scale or a lab value to announce to the world that I had finally arrived there. I was certain if I accomplished this, I could finally relax and breathe a little easier. I found Lifestyle Medicine by accident. It started with a podcast about managing your health and ma- by managing your mind. The message was clear. There was no quick fix to, uh, or perfect diet to achieve the health goals that I was always striving for. I, it was all about putting yourself first and approaching your life from a place of love and abundance. This was mind blowing. Never in all the years of my adult life did I put myself as a priority and truly practice acts of self-care. Slowly, I started noticing how my body felt with certain foods that I ate They didn't feel good. I would no longer indulge in it. Gradually, I moved to a primarily whole food, plant-based diet. And then with that, the next logical step was to remove processed flour, processed sugar. And the results were subtle, yet utterly profound. The reflux, the the brain fog, the hot flashes of perimenopause almost disappeared. I felt like I had discovered an ancient secret, and I could not wait to share it with others. So, my journey with lifestyle medicine again comes from a very personal place, and I struggled with PCOS. I struggled with infertility. You know, the insulin resistant that kind of comes from chronic years of this. And I really, truly felt like what I wish I had now, having indulged and immersed myself in lifestyle medicine, was the power of connection as one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine. The first step of this connection is the connection to self, the awareness, the understanding that there are certain health conditions that you you know that may be in your genetics or it may be related to your environment or it is part of your hormonal health history that is going to be natural or not but yet we have this awareness where we know deep down inside that regardless there are certain behaviors whether it's food seeking behaviors whether it's sleep deprivation whether it's just managing our mind and managing stress that we want to be able to kind of become really granular and specific about and see if we can come up with an action plan to help patients figure out that it's the whole picture when it comes to how we're taking care of ourselves. So again, I speak primarily in the context of women's health and hormonal health, because that's what I what I do. But I like to meet patients where they are and talk about, you know, are you ready to change? Are you ready to make these connections with yourself, because I'm providing um, a community and a support system in the the practice that I'm in currently, where we get to work with patients in this whole new concept. And we talk about managing our brain. We talk about future self and goal setting. We talk about stepping into the lives of our patients and understanding what are their obstacles on a day-to-day basis and what's realistic and what's attainable. And then I literally come up with prescriptions. We come up with prescriptions for exercise and movement. We come up with prescriptions for sleep management. We talk about stress management and how stress plays such a huge role on our long-term health. I know yesterday there was a physician that um, alluded to that stress might be the root cause for a lot of cancers. And I know that stress plays a significant role on so much of our metabolic health while it's hard to pinpoint and measure stress, the chronic fluctuations in our stress response definitely changes our body's way to metabolize glucose and creates a picture of insulin resistance that can lead to weight changes and weight gain that can lead to um, an increased risk for obesity and heart disease and stroke and diabetes. So there's ways where we can find places to make some change. And that's, what my message is all the time. And again, I didn't even know that this field of medicine existed prior to my own self-discovery, you know, a few years back. And I'm I'm so thrilled to be able to be part of this community that I'm in professionally, but also part of this community, this lifestyle medicine movement, because it's giving me the opportunity to let patients know that there's a way to think out of that fog that seems to happen where we feel like we're victim to our hormones, or we feel like we're a victim to our metabolism and we can't make those changes to be able to help ourselves move forward. That must have been incredibly difficult for you
0: to have suffered um, with fertility issues while being the doctor to people that were having babies. I can't imagine how hard that was.
2: It was, um, you know, it was the culture and the time that I was in. Um, it was not acceptable to talk about your personal stories. I had to have my game face on all the time. And so with that being said, I, I, I did not know how to process my emotions. And that's such a huge component of really being able to move the needle and start making changes with your habits that can help improve your long-term health span goals. I, I didn't know how to process it. It wasn't something that people talked about. I just had to suffer in silence. And and now, you know, thankfully, that was a while ago. And, and thankfully, women's health is having a moment right now. And um, there's conversations and there's social media and there's different platforms and outlets that are really, really highlighting some important, difficult conversations. So I do feel that there has been some forward progression in that area. But when I was struggling through those parts of my life. Um, I felt other than the support of my immediate, you know, people, my family my husband, I, I didn't feel like I had the right support system to, to go through that, that journey.
0: If it were happening today, would you would you have the right support system? And what do you recommend to your patients that have this issue?
2: Absolutely, I cannot speak again, you know, highlighting the the importance of social connection. And when I talk about social connection, it's, it's not the mindless scrolling on social media, it's not, you know, being parts of different Facebook groups, it's, it's finding a connection in a way that really, truly supports you where that person, that entity, whatever it may be, is going to support you no matter what, and doesn't have the negative energy that you bring to a relationship that really wants your best interest at heart. And I I have an amazing support system. I always had an amazing support st- system. I don't think I knew how to articulate what my needs were. And that's another component of this journey is having that awareness of, you know what, we all are going to struggle at different points in our life with different things and different health concerns, and we need help. And so having that internal awareness as well as having that external social connection and support group, I think is so important.
0: That's great. Yeah, because yesterday, one of the doctors was talking about how she's a trauma informed coach and, you know, fertility, when it doesn't go the way you want that, that that can be very traumatic for people.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And so And now I have three beautiful children and they are, honestly, they are the reasons why I keep finding different ways to show up better, differently in my life, because I want to really give them the example of what's possible. And my journey from, you know, where I started in medicine and to where I am now has has been nothing but that. It's the 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 possibilities are endless. And and that's kind of been how I now really approach almost all things that I I want to do with my career, with my professional life as well as with my personal life. I was
0: reading in your chapter and one of the things I really like and one of the guests yesterday talked about this too is you have a passion for culinary medicine. How does that look in the world?
2: So my passion is um, it's interesting. I have a family of five, including myself, and four out of the five members in my family have anaphylactic food allergies. So it is my passion for culinary medicine is trying to find ways to incorporate healthier options and sneak nutrition, you know, really, really whole food, plant-based um, components without aggravating my family's allergy status. So I am always experimenting. Some things work out really well, some things don't work out so well. Um, and that's that's kind of what my journey has been.
0: That's fantastic. Well, it's so nice hearing from you. And Thank do you see you. patients, uh, do you take patients either virtually or in person where you live in Florida?
2: I do. So the platform that I'm currently with is called Alara Health and it is a virtual platform. I currently see patients in Michigan and in Florida, and I'm um, in the process of obtaining licensure for California as well as Georgia. Alara Health is active. Um, Our goal for the company is to be active in all 50 states. Currently, we are active in 21 states, and we take a combination of um, commercial insurance as well as um, a concierge-based service. And it is honestly, it's it's a revolutionary concept in terms of really merging the concepts of traditional medicine as well as lifestyle medicine.
0: I'm curious, do you remember the name of the podcast you listened to that introduced you to the concept of lifestyle medicine? Yes.
2: Yeah, so the one, it was... The one that I listened to in the beginning was um, Katrina Ubel. It was weight loss for busy doctors, and somebody had mentioned that I should try listening to this podcast because she had done an episode on infertility, and um, she's very open about some of her journey and um, and how she helps navigate difficult conversations with um, how she sorry uh, navigates difficult conversations with within her coaching practice, and so I started listening. And I, like, it was almost like a whole world had been opened up to me, I could not stop consuming information. So that led to, um, you know, different forms of conversations, either it was from Brene Brown, it was other physicians that were doing podcasts, um, it was everything and anything in between, uh, you know, um, I've listened to Dr. Greger, all sorts of different things and, and along the way.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. And now we have our co host for this wonderful three day summit to introduce our next guest, Dr. Simran Malhotra.
3: Thanks, Chef AJ. Um, all right. Uh, we have Dr. Renee Thomason next. So she is a triple board certified physician, owner of the Mind Gut Skin Academy, and a passionate advocate for women with chronic skin conditions. She's diagnosed with alopecia areata at a young age, so she understands the emotional and physical toll that chronic skin conditions can have. Dr. Thomason's personal experience inspired her to become the first graduate in her family. She completed her MSc and pursued medical school. Her expertise in family medicine, obesity, and lifestyle medicine allows her to help patients improve their gut health and lifestyle and ultimately leading to a better quality of life. Her ultimate goal is to empower women to take charge of their health, feel confident in their skin, and build a supportive community. Dr. Renee is, a, is dedicated to using her knowledge and experience to help others heal and live their best lives. Welcome, uh, welcome, Dr. Thomason. We're excited to have you.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Simran. Again, thank you, Chef AJ. Um, I'm very um, excited um, about being here and speaking more about the book, but I guess More or less, the book shares my journey, so I can just kind of talk about that. Um, So I guess uh, as of right now, I am, uh, like Simran said, um, triple board certified in family medicine. I'm a family medicine physician, um, also obesity and lifestyle medicine. So I kind of share the journey about how I end up getting certified in each. And I'm also finishing up certification in psychodermatology, which is basically focused on psychocutaneous medicine, just how the mind and the skin connect. Um, so I was diagnosed with alopecia areata, um, at the age of eight years old. So I used to have long, beautiful black hair kind of going down to the, to the mid part of my back, um, and being raised in South Carolina, your hair was like, um, your glory it was like your crown. Um, one day my parents found a spot that was in my head and we just kind of ignored it for a while, but then my primary care doctor made me go see a dermatologist. So I went to four or five different dermatologists before I actually got the diagnosis of alopecia. Um, it was traumatizing, uh, very traumatic, um, being diagnosed with that at the age of eight, I felt like a piece of my identity was stripped from me. Um, I went through, let's see, primary school, middle school, high school, I was getting a combination of treatments of steroid injections and kind of at that time, it was like with this big old gun, they would like literally just stab me. It was traumatic every time I went. Um, I cried. Um, A lot of times when I went to the dermatologist, it was really kind of focused on treatment, but we didn't really talk a lot about my emotional health and my mental health kind of at the time. Um, Every time I put the work in with the creams, with the steroid injections, with the oral steroids... My hair would grow back. I would feel normal. And then once we kind of backed up on the therapy, my hair would again come back out. And then I started feeling like um, the outcast, having a lot of the depression, anxiety. And that was never diagnosed in my youth. So I would say from middle school age, going up into college, it was always this emotional roller coaster of just mixed emotions and loss of identity and trying to be like everybody else and not really feeling like I was heard, not by my doctor, not by my parents, Um, just having a lot of bottled up emotions. I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I was determined to be able to help people like me. So I applied to college. I was the first college graduate in my family. I was determined to become a dermatologist because you know, at that young age, I thought that I was gonna like find this cure for alopecia to be able to help everybody. Um, so fast forward, I ended up getting my master's in biomedical sciences because, you know, I had to learn all the things in the lab, um, uh, went to medical school and was really excited when I was in, um, different top dermatologist labs studying alopecia. Um, but I lost my passion in medical school because I saw that it was really more the focus of finding a treatment for alopecia. It's autoimmune. We still, to this day, don't really know What is the cause of a lot of it? There's a lot of postulated things, especially with it just kind of being an inflammatory type thing, but we don't have to get into the nitty gritty with that. But at that time, I got really bored and really frustrated and didn't really see how it was going to help anyone like me because I was more interested in the mental and emotional part of it. And so I ended up changing my entire direction ended up going into family medicine because i saw that on the family medicine track i was able to see patients of all ages still able to still see skin still able to address mental health so it's kind of like i went that route at the last year of my medical school so um everything that i had planned and prepared for at that time um like everything just kind of blew up i guess but Fast forward, I end up finding a love and passion for dealing a lot with my patients um, that had a lot of skin conditions. Um, They opened up to me a lot about their mental and emotional health. Um, A lot of them started going to therapy because of me, was able to open up to their dermatologist more. Um, I ended up graduating um, right at the height of COVID in 2019. Um, I ended up doing hospitalist medicine at that time because I really got burnt out by the outpatient part. And then, COVID hit. And I was afraid for my life, especially working as a hospitalist. And I just, my A1C was up, uh, was diagnosed with cholesterol. Um, Of course, my hair was not going back or anything like that. Um, Stop treatments, because at that time, I think we had an FDA approved biologic to be able to kind of help grow our hair back. And it's kind of like, I just put a pause on everything. I became uh, introduced to obesity medicine initially. Um, I used a lot of the principles in obesity medicine to kind of apply to my own life. So really kind of changing my diet, um, really kind of using some of their principles. And that really, really benefited me. Um, During the time of COVID, I also got introduced to lifestyle medicine. I was also doing a, um, I won't say it was like a podcast, but it was kind of like a webinar series with the National Alopecia Areata Foundation. with a colleague of mine, and we had a lot of patients that they were not interested in a cure for alopecia. They were more interested in talking about alternative medicine, more interested in talking about the stress of how it is to deal with alopecia, how to live every day with alopecia, how to make better life choices living with alopecia. And that carried on to other chronic inflammatory skin conditions. So that opened up a view of medicine that I never saw before. So I listened to the podcast plant-based, it was like from plant-based telehealth or something like that. And it really talked about lifestyle medicine, how changing your diet, et cetera, et cetera. So I initially got opened up to the um, community of lifestyle medicine. Um, I ended up talking more about that with the autoimmune community. Um, Ended up getting board certified in lifestyle medicine. Um, Applied a lot of those principles, the six pillars really to my life. And kind of all from there, I got introduced to the world of psychocutaneous medicine, where it was really talking a lot about how the mind, the gut, and the skin are connected. I mean, our skin being our biggest organ and how our emotional health really changes the gut microbiome and how that also leads to a lot of changes in gut dysbiosis and how that leads to a lot of skin changes. Um, 30% of most individuals that are diagnosed with a lot of, chronic skin disease, they have an underlying level of depression and anxiety. A lot of that can lead to a lot of poor life choices. And especially as we're getting older in the 30s and 40s, that's when you start to also see changes in other aspects of your life. Diabetes, cholesterol, hypertension, all of that. So I felt that I was in kind of a unique position, especially as being a patient, as being a physician, being able to use evidence-based medicine and being able to Feel great that I was able to be educated to be able to pull all of these principles together to be able to kind of help this population of people that have chronic inflammatory skin disease and kind of being an advocate for them and really kind of giving them principles that they can use in their everyday life to really kind of change their overall quality of life. Because a lot of times there's no cure for our disease, it's just kind of something that we have to live with. But they also need advocates to really kind of say, Hey, how are you doing? How is your mental health? How is your emotional health? is there any medicine that you need? Um, How are you addressing all of your other chronic conditions other than your skin conditions? And so I feel that I'm kind of that middle person kind of to be able to kind of partner with different dermatologists and with different clinics to be able to kind of help this population. Um, A lot of times um, when you're dealing with what is up under the precipice of psychocutaneous medicine, um, a lot of times the dermatologists don't have a lot of time to really kind of really sit and talk to the patient so I just feel that that's a a really unmet need that we have and so I just feel that my heart and my passion has really kind of met to where I've met my tribe or my people to really kind of help make a difference in other people's lives um so yeah that's really kind of really what my chapter is about and really what it's about my journey so I did come up with the Mind Get Skin Academy, which really kind of initially focused on women, just to kind of give them evidence-based medicine. Um, and so that has now kind of, um, since I finished up some more training, I will be taking patients more in the fall as I continue to open up my clinic. Just more, really, going to be more of a
0: telemedicine clinic. Um, Thank you yeah. so much. And so alopecia is an autoimmune condition. Mm-hmm. It is, yes, ma'am. Interesting. So is there any way to prevent it before it happens? Like does diet help at all? Can a plant-based diet help prevent it or treat it in any way?
2: Um,
1: Yeah. So not necessarily prevent it Um, because it is autoimmune. um, There's still a lot of speculation of the etiology of alopecia areata. Um, A lot of things that we're seeing is that it is a TH17 uh, like driven, um, I won't get too dirty. Basically how our immune system really can just kind of attacks the hair follicles, but it's been shown that if you're able to kind of change to some plant-based, being able to really focus on some micronutrients, that it can make a difference, but it's not going to cure the disease. Yeah.
0: And there's a question from Julie. Is there such a thing as stress-induced alopecia? Um, it she It there- started the size of a dime and now is a quarter-sized bald spot. Uh, a prescribed cream didn't work and uh, the person isn't plant-based, eats a lot of fish, but doesn't eat processed food. Can anything help with
4: that?
1: Yeah, I would say that there are, um, since this platform is not really for diagnosis with anything, I can kind of say that if it is something that she has, I I would say I would recommend what she's, what I'm hearing is that it kind of started off as a quarter size and it kind of got bigger. That sounds more like alopecia areata But she would have to go to a board-certified dermatologist to be able to kind of get a skin biopsy to be able to kind of get the official diagnosis.
0: And there are a lot of different treatments based
1: on the type of alopecia that she has.
0: Do you see patients uh, virtually or in person in your
1: practice? Yeah, I will be seeing them virtually in my practice more towards the fall as I'm just kind of gearing up, changing from a coaching-based practice. That's what I have now with the Mind at Skin Academy to now to where I'm just kind of transitioning to allowing that to be my practice. So in the fall, I will be able to see patients in Virginia and the Midwest
5: and
0: working on my California license now. That's great. Everybody's working on California. That's perfect. Cause that's where I live. <laughs> uh, do any of the uh, doctors that are in the uh, zoom room have any questions for any of the doctors that have spoken so far?
3: I guess one of the questions I have is um, Gory and I talked uh, offline since uh, we were getting to know each other, and um, I know her experience um, of being the doctor and the patient. Um, and of course, Renee just shared her uh, beautiful experience. I wonder, like, for anyone out there who's a healthcare professional, um, it doesn't have to be a doctor, just a healthcare professional who's also uh, dealing with their own diagnosis or their own health journey. What is the one or two things that you would share with them? That really helped you get through and um, continue to show up for your patients.
1: Um, I would say for me, um, is that it's important to find your try, especially if you're somebody that has a chronic skin condition. Um, because I've learned that it's the support groups that really help me kind of deal with the emotional ups and downs with alopecia and to not really pay attention. You can be inspired by these Instagram influencers and all of that, which is great, but you know, I'm happily bald. I'm, I'm actually able to talk to you, but it took me a while to get here. So make your journey your journey and don't compare your journey to anyone else, Um, but find that support that you may need. Um, That would be number one. And then number two is. Do not sleep on awareness, Um, be aware of your emotional and mental health and do not be afraid to ask for help. Um, advocate for yourself when you're talking to your dermatologist or your family medicine doctor to be able to kind of address your mental and emotional health, because I mean, that's the journey that you're on. Um, As a DO, I'm I'm really big on holistic health, treating a person, mind, body, spirit. So we have to treat the whole person, not just the skin
2: condition. So I think that's really just about it for me. Love that. I love that. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I I think the awareness is you know, really truly the first step. And then to the comparisons truly are, you know, the quote, comparisons are the stealers of joy. And it's so true in these personal health journeys because there's no one size fits all diagnosis. There's no one size fits all treatment. Everybody's story is different. And so everybody comes to the table with such different unique experiences. And that's the key is to kind of really find somebody, find a provider, find your your team of people that can understand where you are, what you're coming to the table with, what your challenges are, and then come up with a plan. And if it's not working, to continue to make changes, because that's where the power of this community and power of lifestyle medicine and the power of taking control of your mental health and your awareness really is because if something's not working, you want to have the confidence that you can make, make other habits to move yourself in a different direction and create these long-term sustainable changes. So I couldn't agree more with what Dr. Thomason said.
0: Thank okay. you. And Dr. Thomason, we actually have one more question about hair loss and since you're the expert, would you mind answering it?
2: You for sure. Thank
0: you. And this is actually about hair loss in iron. And um, the person is saying uh, if the ferritin levels are greater than 70, it's sometimes recommended in terms of promoting hair growth. What level of ferritin do you recommend to help hair? Mine is 11 because of heavy menses. How is it best to supplement? Is there truth to taking iron supplements every other day for better absorption? So I guess the question is, does iron help grow hair?
1: So I would really attribute, um, I'm I'm not going to put this on the prism of giving out medical advice um, with a lot of things because it's going to be individual, based on the individual and based on the labs. Because um, I think that a lot of times patients can get a lot of data offline, but it's not really kind of narrowed to them. So a lot of times with our iron levels, it can be correlated with alopecia, depending on the type of alopecia that you do have, but also depending on the lab values that you would get from taking those labs. But if you are iron deficient, that can lead to aspects of hair loss. So I would say, make sure that you're getting your labs first to kind of give yourself a baseline and supplement if you need to at that time.
0: Thank you. So next is up Dr. Malhotra to introduce our next speaker.
3: Thank you, Dr. Gauri and Dr. Renee. We appreciate you being here and we have our next three speakers. So I will introduce Dr. Shruti Chandrasekhar who I actually had the pleasure of uh, attending a book reading with this weekend at the Green Fair Cafe in Virginia. If you're in the area, it is an amazing whole food plant-based restaurant. Um, So just going to put a plug in for that. Um, Dr. Shruti Shaker is a triple board-certified physician with expertise in internal medicine, obesity medicine, and lifestyle medicine. Understanding lifestyle factors in health and disease had long been an interest. After completing medical school in India, she graduated from Columbia University's St. Luke Roosevelt Ro- uh, Residency Program in New York, where she was involved in a special project on nutrition and obesity. Upon completing her residency, she came to Virginia, where she has been a a hospital medicine physician for the last several years, while concurrently pursuing her certifications in obesity and lifestyle medicine. She understands the challenges that one faces as a patient with chronic conditions. She comes to Zoe-style medicine with the right knowledge and understanding of the pathways to healing, and is here to support and recommend the best Treatment to achieve one's goals. She joins a select few physicians across the country with such expertise and would like to make a significant impact on her patients and her community. Welcome, Dr. Shruti.
6: Thank you so much, Samran. And thank you so much, Chef AJ, for having us. Uh, are we on? Yeah, okay. So before I go in here, I want to say how incredible it's been to listen to all amazing doctors. And uh, I was just uh, talking, uh, listening to Dr. Gauri speak and she mentioned about PCOS and that's where I have a little bit of story of myself uh, before I start. Going dwelling more into my PCOS journey and lifestyle medicine, I would like to talk about me a little bit. I am. Uh, I come from India. I come from a place called Bangalore, India. I came here 20 years ago, and uh, I live in Richmond with uh, my family, as two boys and my husband. I did have a fur baby, but uh, we lost him in pandemic due to cancer. Uh, I, in my free time, I do enjoy cooking now before I actually struggled to cook, but now I'm loving and, uh, making the most of it from what I learned, uh, while getting certified in the certified in lifestyle medicine. I also enjoy hiking with my, uh, family and, uh, I started to bike now because I struggled with exercise. So now with hiking and biking has been more natural way of, uh, bringing into, um, Exercise into my life. I practice uh, uh, internal medicine, obesity medicine, and lifestyle medicine. Uh, I have a, a practice named Zoe Style Medicine. It, uh, it's been more over a year I've been practicing this, and I see incredible patients who have made a lot of changes since they're saving us, and it's very rewarding. Uh, I have a wonderful team who helps patients make changes. Uh, we have Everybody's lifestyle certified. We have a nutritionist, health coach, and a whole stress management team with that. Uh, I do take all insurances, and I do see patients virtually all over Virginia currently. And before I go into my book, I would like to talk a little bit more about my family. Uh, my mom and dad... Uh, they still live in India. Thankfully, they're doing well now. But I come from a family where heart disease is very common, like early heart disease. Uh, I haven't met my grandparents. I mean, my grandfathers, especially. Uh, my Both my grandparents were deceased by the age of 40, 42. And uh, yeah, that's very scary. And when I was a little girl, my daddy at the age of 34 had a heart attack. And um, at the age of 44, he had to... At the age of forty-four, he ended up having a bypass uh, artery, uh, bi- coronary artery bypass surgery, and uh, yeah, it's been very scary since then. Sorry, and. Uh, I also come from a family who has polycystic ovarian syndrome, that's PCOS. I think Dr. Growry mentioned a little bit about it. And people with polycystic ovaries it usually affects the uh, women in childbearing age. And uh, little was known before, and they didn't have, have any uh, treatment plan for that. All we could do was simple medications, as it's been um, mentioned before, that it was not actually treating the root cause, but more like putting a bandaid on it. And uh, I am one of those uh, women who is affected with polycystic ovaries, and it has caused significant uh, challenges during my uh, childhood and also during my residency and also now as a uh, doctor and also as a parent. So... And the patients with polycystic ovaries actually have uh, increased risk of insulin resistance from a very young age. So they are prone for becoming diabetic way earlier. And also they go through a lot of hormonal changes and hormonal disturbances, which can have menstrual irregularities. And they can also affect fertilities and also pregnancy complications. And uh, they also suffer from increased risk of having anxiety and depression. um, And there are very little treatment options available before. So I'll go on and read uh, a little bit snippet from my book. Mine is the chapter two. I also have PCOS, which runs in my family and is a significant disease burden. When I was younger, I was told that oral contraceptive pills were the only effective treatment for this condition. But lifestyle was not addressed, which I know, know to be an effective treatment. While I practiced hospital medicine, I completely changed my lifestyle from healthy to one of convenience. I was eating a lot of takeout food as I had no time or energy or cook for myself. My PCOS got worse, which affected my energy and my sleep. I can say I was hardly thriving, but continued continued with my lifestyle. After a few years of this lifestyle, we decided to have a baby. With PCOS, conceiving was a challenge. Pregnancy came with challenges as I had to be on insulin shots and keep a close check on my sugars for the rest of my pregnancy. Pregnancy made me think about if there was something else I could have done differently in my journey towards my first baby boy. The following two years had more challenges with a growing child, and I was fortunate to have another child. I was still trying to balance it all, but hardly succeeding. I couldn't lose the weight I gained this time around. I needed to be on insulin shots like my prior pregnancy. I managed somehow, but afterwards I was left with extra weight, extra responsibilities, and struggling to balance my life as a doctor and wife, and now a full-blown diabetic. I felt ashamed that being a physician, I couldn't take care of myself, and I couldn't take care of my eating or medicines like I was able to when I was pregnant. This time wasn't like a nine-month run, but an uncertain timeline, an unknown endpoint. I started to try the diabetic diet, and things got worse. To sum up my situation, I was a 38-year-old with uncontrolled diabetes, my HbA one c numbers in the eights, and an overweight physician on four different meds for diabetes. I felt defeated. As my PCOS flared over the next few months, I had become severely anemic. I had to call EMS when I developed chest pain resulting from severe anemia. I'd, I had my babies with me, one four-year-old and another hardly six months old, both looking at the EMS crew coming into our home as I was about to be taken to the ER. I remember looking from the stretcher at my son's face. It scared me. At the hospital, I was diagnosed with severe anemia and coronary spasms. I needed a blood transfusion and I started on medications for my heart. I spent a night in the same hospital room where I treated so many patients, feeling crushed to be in this situation. I didn't want to accept the course of my condition and feel powerless. I knew I needed to change. The scare of almost having a heart attack and being diagnosed with a heart condition at such a young age caused me to panic, especially with two small children who depended on me. This is where I think um, the change started happening. This is the same time when Dr. Pradhan, who's editor of her uh, book and also a wonderful friend of mine, mentioned that she... uh, Certified in lifestyle medicine. I got curious. I'm like, okay, let me see what that is. And that's when I started looking more into that and started digging deeper. And then I learned so many things which I didn't understand how it could affect my life in such a huge way. I in all those practices of course it took a while that was where the, a lot of the challenges came in it's not only just learning but also putting it into practice that is where my patients also struggle in my uh, practice anyway fast forward to four years since then I feel that my polycystic ovaries, uh have been well managed uh, for the first time in the last four years I haven't had any blood transfusions or needed to you know go through uncertainty of what's going to happen. And I am still a diabetic, but well-controlled. Uh, I am on one medication rather than four different medications, which was causing me a lot of horrible side effects. Uh, during this journey, uh, I actually was struggling how to put into act of how to live my life in a new learned way. And that is when one of the doctors called Dr. Patluri, actually she has come on Chef AJ a couple of times, and she has taught me wonderful cooking skills. And also her blog has been like, uh, my Bible in my kitchen and uh, which has actually helped me make the transition into a uh, more uh, healthier nutritional meals for my me and myself and my family and uh, also in a traditional way which is because that suits me uh, the most and I appreciate the support I got there and also made incredible uh, friends along this journey who are also in the same path Uh, So for now, so far, I've had almost over a year of experience in practicing only lifestyle medicine. And uh, it's been, I see quite a number of polycystic ovary patients and I feel so empowered that I can teach them that there are ways you can do and you can take control over in your lifestyle, which can help you prevent the same path I've gone through. Probably they don't need to go through the you know, diabetes phase, maybe they can, you know, prevent themselves from being diabetic when they were pregnant. And that will help them feel so much more control over what they're doing. Um, Yeah, that's my story. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much. And I just want to remind everyone, if you get the book, it's really cool. Each doctor, in addition to their photo, their websites, their story, there's a QR code. So you can actually use it to link to more information about them, their websites, sometimes videos. So get the book. The link is below.
3: Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Shruti. And next uh, I have our wonderful Dr. Nandini Reddy. She is a family uh, physician, board certified in obesity medicine and lifestyle medicine. She is the founder of the Style Your Health MD YouTube channel and a paid speaker. I am, uh, she is passionate about introducing patients to the fields of lifestyle uh, medicine and obesity medicine and helping them take control of their lives. She loves speaking on stage and sharing her message with people uh, even who are not her patients. Uh, she lives in Georgia with her husband and two children. So welcome, Dr. Nandik.
7: Hey, thank you, Simran. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. And thanks, Chef AJ. Uh, it's been an honor to be on your show. And um, I graduated from Louisiana State University. I'm a board certified in family medicine. I'm also board certified in lifestyle as well as obesity medicine. Um, and uh, I live in Georgia. I uh, I lead a multidisciplinary obesity uh, team. I have a dietitian, exercise physiologist, and a psychologist in the team. So we as a team help patients lose weight and feel great. Um, so I see patients all throughout Georgia. I'm licensed in Georgia. So I work for, uh, in Roswell, Georgia. So we see patients both virtually as well as uh, in, pe- in person. So I'm very passionate about the field of of lifestyle and obesity. Um, I think uh, they helped me a lot, like personally as well as professionally, to become a better doctor. Um, So a lot of times uh, when you're diagnosed with a chronic disease, like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, you're sold on the idea that you're stuck with this disease forever. Uh, No matter what you do, you got to take medications for the rest of your life. And um, this happened uh, with my patients and in my own family. Uh, my father was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of, uh, when he was in early 30s. So, and he was started on medications and one medication led to the other medication. And like, he was never, I mean, I've never seen a doctor sat, sit down and talk to him about lifestyle changes and what you could do, what he could do better in his life to Help with his disease, and uh, nobody ever talked to him about these. So he eventually he he kind of got an understanding that like, hey, no matter what I do, I'm going to be on these medications. So and and eventually all the medications stopped working. At, as usual, the progression of diabetes, as you all know, he ended up with a chronic t- kidney disease, and he was in dialysis. Um, and so he he used to have peritoneal dialysis like ten to fifteen hours a day. So, and uh, it, it made him severely depressed because he was more social and he wanted to travel around the world. He wanted to interact with people, but it made him homebound. And it was overwhelming to watch him go through this. And even, uh, finally he passed away in September, 2020, which was uh, which was devastating. But uh, after his uh, loss, like I, I started thinking, where did we miss? What are we doing wrong? how could we do this better? And it became an internal mantra, like I I should help as many people as possible uh, not to uh, to go through this. And uh, when I discovered the fields of lifestyle medicine and obesity medicine, I was really fascinated to know more about this. I really wanted to know more about this. And I got certified in both the fields within six months uh, um, while I was going through the loss of my dad. Which was really a hard time, and I was um, I was uh, uh, normal grief as well as uh, going through this board. So, but I um, but like after passing these boards, I fe- I felt more empowered to help my patients. Um, so, uh, my practice style shifted from a knee-jerk reaction where I would I would prescribe. I would be more than happy to prescribe. Okay, your blood pressure is high. I'm going to prescribe one more medication to help your blood pressure. But my conversation kind of shifted from that knee-jerk reaction to, hey, what are we doing different? What are you? How is your diet? Are you sleeping enough? Are you are you exercising? I mean, um, what are the things you're doing lifestyle-wise? And I go through all the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. So, uh and over the years, I helped several people. Like I mean, get better, get rid of their medications, or over the doses of medications, which uh, which I feel um, uh, I'm really happy doing that. And uh, one of the patients who, who whom who um uh, whom I really feel like I mean um I've helped him was uh, I wrote the story in my book. He's a gentleman who when he came to me, he was on six medications, including. Um, two medications for his blood pressure, for his cholesterol, including his insulin. So he was in his fifties and he was depressed. Um, he he was like, dark. no matter what I do, I will be on these meds for the rest of my life. Uh, when I told him there is hope, his eyes literally lit up. He never heard this from any provider before. So I told him, hey, you, we're going to work with you. So, uh, you're going to be seeing all these people, but we're going to work with you as a team to help you feel, uh, help you lower the doses of medications and help you have a more healthier and happier life. So we worked as a team, our dietitian, she helped him change. He was a vegetarian to begin with. So it was not a hard thing to change from vegetarian to whole food plant-based diet. So we changed his diet. And our exercise physiologist, kept him accountable and like helped him how to take baby steps to help him exercise. And our psychologist, uh, that was the biggest uh, piece uh, of uh, his health because like food is an emotion. Food is not something which we eat to feel because we are hungry. Um, So actually we in fact like came to know that he was stress eating. So his mindset, uh, mindset around food kind of changed uh, eventually a year later, he lost about 20% of his weight. And he was very happy to get rid of his insulin because he didn't need the insulin anymore. So, and his blood pressure medications, like the doses of blood pressure medications, drastically decreased. He didn't need that anymore. Um, so he his I see him once in six months, and he's healthier and happier than ever before. And I wish I wish I would have known about I wish we would have known about this lifestyle medicine like 30 years ago. Um, uh, my dad would have still been alive today and not gone through the um, all the chronic kidney disease, the the progression of chronic disease the way he did. And he would have been healthier and happier and enjoying his years of retirement with his grandkids traveling around the world. So definitely uh, lifestyle medicine has helped me to be a better
3: provider bit doctor. Thanks, Dr. Nandini. It's a very uh, beautiful story and I uh, can definitely see how you turned your pain into your purpose now and wherever your dad is, uh, we know that he's really proud of you. Um. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Dr. Wendy all the way across the pond in the UK. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Wendy. Um, Dr. Wendy Stammers is an NHS GP, Hero of Health, board-certified lifestyle medicine doctor, certified health and well-being coach, mother of two gorgeous, very active boys, and a former GB age group tri- triathlete. She is actively changing the way she practices medicine and empowering patients using evidence-based lifestyle medicine to prevent, manage, and reverse chronic diseases. Welcome, Dr. Wendy.
5: Thank you so much, Simran. Thank you for that kind introduction. And um, and to you, Chef AJ, thank you for accepting me from across the pond, as Simran said. Um, yes, I'm stood here at eight o'clock at night um, in the dark. Well, thankfully not in my room, but uh, uh, all the way from the UK and I'm here in Sheffield. So, So thank you for having me. Um, And as Simran shared, um, I'm a National Health Service General Practitioner, which I believe um, is equivalent to your family physician. Um, And I thought it might be a little bit helpful um, just to share exactly what that means, um, given that our health service is obviously very different to to yours in America. Um, So the National Health Service is funded by taxpayers' money. Um, so that most of the health services um, are free at the point of use. Um, And general practice is the first point of contact for most people seeking non-urgency medical help within the NHS. Um, And we as GPs are the main gatekeeper to secondary care, which tends to be provided in our hospitals or um, in community centres. Um, As GPs, we have 10 to 15 minute appointments um, to see our patients in and they present, as you know, from anything from head to toe and everything in between um, that is non-emergency. And sadly, two out of three of our appointments now are being used to um, diagnose, manage, treat uh, chronic diseases. And, and as we know, all of the, the speakers um, on on this summit ha- have shared that the the majority of these chronic diseases are fuelled by our lifestyle choices. Um, and actually, you know, to know that they can be prevented and reversed, um, it, it is a real shame that we are sinking under this pandemic of, of chronic illness. Um, so, I'm going to share a couple of excerpts from my chapter um, to first explain um, how I discovered lifestyle medicine and actually appreciate that it was such a thing. Um, and then, what gave me the courage, uh, strength, and permission to pursue it. And then, I'll talk a little bit about where I am now um and before i start reading i'll just share what my sort of upbringing was i suppose and and how i've i've always believed in an active, healthy life. Um, I was very privileged to have been brought up in a um, a, a small country village um, where my activities um, were very much outside, running around, rolling around in the mud, um, playing with my friends, connecting in my neighbourhood, uh, playing until eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, driving my parents crazy, I'm sure, and always known as the child that never sat still. So I was always active. And I was also uh, blessed with a mum who cooked home-cooked food. Um, It was whole food. It was healthy. Um, And so I was given a really great setup um, to life and with absolutely no appreciation of actually the impact it had on my physiology and my biology. Um, but now looking back, I feel so thankful that that was my, my start in life, um, And so I've carried that on throughout my into my adulthood and my exercise and activity has always been my go to my therapy every day. You know, I'd be out running and um, and and now it's very much chasing the kids, although I did break my ankle in August, which did uh, actually give me quite an eye opener as to the really true saying that if you don't use it you'll lose it because that's exactly what happened um to my the muscle in my leg when it was put in a cast and completely immobilized for two weeks so so yeah it that was a really powerful um uh, visual for me um so yes I've 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 always felt that that lifestyle is crucial and at, at medical school we were you're you you're taught very much about treating illness. You're taught about diseases and you're taught about the medications that are needed to treat these illnesses. Um, but I think at the time I never appreciated that all we were doing is treating symptoms and, and don't get me wrong, medications are lifesavers. But, but what was failed to really be put, um, uh, drilled down on at medical school is actually the impact of lifestyle, and how that can be the preventer and the reverser um, of these diseases. Um, so I always consulted in my GP practice, um, always tried to to bring in the elements of exercise and um, nutrition. um, And then I discovered that there was such a thing as lifestyle medicine. So this is the first chapter that I'm going to first excerpt that I'm going to read from my chapter. Just bear with me. Back in December 2017, my dream was ignited when I was traveling in my car and listening to an interview with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee on BBC Radio. He was discussing his book, The Four Pillar Plan. That interview proved to be the turning point in my career. It was then that I realised where I truly belonged, in the world of lifestyle medicine. Dr Chatterjee's words resonated with me and the scientific evidence supporting his ideas was strong and compelling. I knew this was a field I couldn't ignore. I loved being a GP and helping others, but i had grown increasingly frustrated with the system. I constantly found myself running behind schedule in my 10-minute consultations because I was more interested in helping my patients identify the root causes of their illnesses rather than just treating their symptoms with an ever-increasing number of pharmaceuticals. I firmly believe that many of the patients I saw were suffering from imbalances in their lifestyles and that if they could be equipped with the knowledge and self-belief to address these issues, their symptoms would ease without the need for long-term or lifelong medications. Unfortunately, the constraints of the healthcare system, increasing patient demands, complexities and lack of resources made it impossible for me to deliver this type of service within our practice. And now um, I'll go on to read the excerpt. Um, that gave me the courage, strength and permission to pursue my dream. I'm so sorry. These were the three words that hit my husband and me when my friend broke the bad news in Sheffield Children's Hospital emergency department on the 23rd of December, 2019. Oliver has a brain tumor. Our youngest son, age five, had been having intermittent neck pains for the preceding two months and then had the occasional vomit whilst at school. On that fateful day, we were all packed up to visit my family for Christmas and Oliver vomited three times before we left. Our suspicions had already began escalating and we were waiting for a brain scan, but now we couldn't wait. We drove straight to the emergency, emergency department and that's where we remained for the following two weeks. I'll just, sorry, I've just lost where I am there. Uh, fortunately, sorry, just bear with me. I'm just going to go into rewind. Sorry, I just lost, lost my train. It always still still gets me to be uh, become a bit emotional. So our youngest son, aged five, had been having intermittent neck pains for the preceding two months, and then had the occasional vomit whilst at school. On that fateful day, we left. On that fateful day, we were all packed to visit my family for Christmas and Oliver vomited three times before we left. Our suspicions had already been escalating and we were waiting for a brain scan, but now we couldn't wait. We drove straight to the emergency department and that is where we remained for the following two weeks. Fortunately, we consider ourselves one of the lucky families as Oliver's tumour was benign, a pilocytic astrocytoma. It took several months following his surgery, but he eventually made a full recovery. And today he's a healthy, active and very fit nine-year-old boy. And he runs me round ragged. (laughs) Um, So, sorry about the emotions. After facing that really terrifying possibility of losing Oliver, I viewed life through a very, very different lens. Um, And sadly, I feel it took facing that adversity to give me permission to pursue my true um, purpose which I felt like every single other person on, on this summit was to help as many people as I could um, so, so from there, I was brave enough to step away from my GP practice, which was very secure. Um, and, and I delved into lifestyle medicine well and truly. So I binge read books, um, written by world renowned leaders in lifestyle medicine. I binge listened to podcasts. I was a complete bore, uh, to everybody because that's all I listened to and spoke about, um, and um, and over that time, I then also became board certified in lifestyle medicine. Um, through through reading and learning, I I couldn't help but then live this 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 life based on the six pillars of lifestyle medicine. And um, a big part of of what happened in our household was to to convert over to a you know pretty much. Um, I say 90 95% plant based diet. Um, having read all the evidence and listened to the amazing um, Professor Tim Speck to talk about the, the um, impact on the gut microbiome and the effect that COVID had on the gut microbiome and the, the direct connection with ill health and um, the severity of and, and morbidity of, um, of patients suffering with, with COVID. Um, so we we lived the lifestyle as well. And um, and I certainly couldn't believe the the impact on my energy levels. Um, my husband, who suffered with microscopic colitis, so really inflamed bowels and distressing symptoms. He we, we had to work really carefully with him and gradually introduce um the different foods that he always felt as though he was intolerant of, or that gave him bad symptoms. But actually we realized that these were the foods he really needed to heal his gut. Um, and he absolutely has. Um, so he's eating the beans, the legumes, the lentils, the onions, the garlic, those foods that often get blamed, um, to irritate bowel. And, you know, we are packing our days full of fiber. Um, and we know that that is, is one of the big things that, um, that drives our healthy gut microbes to, to keep us well. Um, and, our, and my kids absolutely love just adding up the plant number of plant points that we've eaten um, in a day. And there's often a little bit of sibling um, competitiveness as well in the household in relation to that. Um, so during this time, I, I had the privilege to meet Dr. Linda Mizen, who's an emergency doctor in Sheffield, um, and also Dr. Adrian Kumar, who's a GP here in Sheffield as well. And they're both board certified lifestyle medicine. They, they certified um, a good few years before me. Um, And we quickly realised that we shared this this amazing energy and and real belief that this was the future of medicine. This needed to be out there for our patients. We needed to, um, you know, actually facilitate our patients to take ownership of their own health. And and we refused to just sit and and, uh, spectate this complete explosion of of, um, chronic disease that was was not was massively affecting our patients but also causing our poor healthcare professionals and the health service to sink so we then put all of our efforts into um uh creating um and, f- and founding hero of health um we've, we've got 50 years of clinical um uh, uh expertise between us um, and we we founded uh, Hero of Health that um, is basically a digital lifestyle hub um, that connects people that connects people within the community with their GP practices. And we are able to offer the, the, the six the elements of lifestyle medicine to our patients because this isn't available in the NHS here in the UK as a GP and working in uh, different practices. I I love working in practices that are working, that we are actually helping because I'm able to tell my patients, yes, there's a walk or there's a cooking session or there's, the, you know, the, these elements of lifestyle medicine there for you to learn and actually um, take ownership of your health. And so what we do is we... Um, we can, the big focus is on connection. We have appreciated that one in four people report to be, of being lonely. Um, and loneliness, lack of social connection is has a massive input, impact on our health and our ability to actually make healthy lifestyle choices. Um, so we get people out, we get people walking and talking together, we reduce stress, we bring in strengthening and stretching exercises as we're walking and talking and the results have been phenomenal. We've got 50%, we've got an equal share of men and women um, and, you know, people just keep wanting to, to to come along to our walks, they're spreading the word um, to, to various different GP practices that that we haven't managed to get into yet. So um, it, it's been an incredible journey. We started walking with our patients every single week, all in our free time two years ago, trying to create the model, trying to work out the behavior, bring in behavioral um habit change, coaching, um, we that evolved into running some cooking courses where we're actually now really seeing patients reverse their chronic diseases. Um, and just to finish on, we just a, a couple of case studies. Um, we've got a, a, I'll I'll talk about our, our wonderful Jeff, who's an eighty year old gentleman who came to us having lost his wife. Um, He became really um, isolated, lonely, lost his complete zest for life. He lost his why and his purpose for living. Um, His daughter lives in Holland and she was extremely concerned about him. Um, And uh, he signed up to one of our walks because we were, were delivering walks in his GP practice, from his GP practice. And he was so frail to begin with. He didn't feel as though he could walk very far. Um but what we saw was a little sparkle each week igniting and he came to those walks. He, we we went at his pace. The whole group goes at the pace of the person who is is least able. We all support each other and the 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 onus isn't on yomping over the hills. It's about um actually teaching people and learning how to walk properly and engaging our muscles talking about muscle health health and strength and the impact that has on on your longevity and we do some gentle isometric exercises and some stretching and we follow that in a cafe with a cup of tea typically british um, and we continue our coaching conversations in really listening to people's why their purpose what is it about you know gaining health that will um will mean something to you why why do you want to become healthy? Um, and and as soon as you tap into that and people feel heard and listened to, not judged cared for, their mindset shifts, they trust us, they feel they're able to share and we can really um, see those results coming through now. And this gentleman was insulin dependent diabetic, his blood sugars were through the roof. Um, He was on uh, 120 units of insulin a day. Um, he could own, we, we do a chair sit stand test to see how many, uh, sit stands you can do in 30 seconds as a gauge of strength. And, um, he could only, he could do nine in 30 seconds in just eight weeks. He's gone from a chair sit stand to, um, from nine to 14, which has brought him from below average to nearly above average for an 80 year old, which, which significantly reduces his risk for falls, and his insulin has dropped from 120 a day down to 64. And he said he could—he never ever believed that he would ever reduce his insulin, and now he's actually believing that he can come off it. He's lost weight. He's smiling. He's hugging, and um, yeah, he's—he's he's with us for life. Um, And we've got multiple uh, similar stories that I could share uh, and keep sharing, but I realize I'm I'm probably uh, have had my little time slot, so I should stop there. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Wendy. That was
3: incredibly inspiring. And all three of you guys shared such personal journeys and and we are so grateful for your vulnerability. Uh, One of the things that you all kind of hinted to was the power of plants. Um, and one of the things that I feel like I'm always um, asked when I'm when I tell people I'm plant based is, oh, that's it's expensive to eat vegan or it's expensive to eat plant based. Um, maybe one of you, Dr. Shruti, maybe can you comment on maybe eating plant based on a budget? Absolutely. Thank you, Simran. That's a great question because uh, I do see some
6: of the people in my clinic who did have financial issues. Uh, there's one of the patient I did mention in my uh, book is a great example, and she inspires me. Uh, it's a little snippet I'd written that uh, she came to me in the beginning for the group classes, and that time she's a lady who had actually had a bypass surgery and then had a lot of multiple medical issues, but she ended up regaining all the weight, and she's on foot stamps, and then she's on disability, and then she was really struggling to make it in meets, and uh, she would run out of the food, uh, and then she... In spite of all of things, she was gaining weight. She had gained like 150 pounds over after she had lost all of it. And then after she came in, she went through all of her lifestyle coaching. Uh, she came through just to sit through, and uh, she was making notes quietly. She didn't want to see any of us because she couldn't afford. That's what she said. But we are like, okay, let's see. And then she met with me finally, and she shared that she is already making some changes. She said that I really can't afford all the food which we can go every week and go buy fresh fruits. Then we talked about like frozen foods, frozen fruits, and some of the frozen broccoli actually have more nutrition than you know, a regular thing which you buy from then. So she invested her time in portioning her food. Like she started bringing a lot of more, for oatmeal, she would just eat oatmeal and she wouldn't add berries because it was so expensive. Now she goes and buys herself a lot of berries and she portion sizes and she eats with the oatmeal and she makes it more nutritious. And same way she includes like all of the uh vegetables, like she buys all these tiny, tiny carrots and then she eats the same carrots for that week, but she's eating the amount portions. But next week she goes and spends on broccoli. And then the next week she goes and spends on oranges. So same way she is like able to include more of that. uh, And then, She's made tremendous changes. She's come off of medications. She has lost like so far 60 pounds in the last six months and uh, you continue to eat uh, on budget. And then I also have another patient who is not that econom- economically challenged, but she is so depressed and she does not have energy uh, to go shopping. And she used to struggle a lot to include plant-based things. So we went through this uh, ACLM, which is a f- uh, food as medicine jumpstart, and she started incorporating smoothies. Even for that, she started buying ingredients, uh, you know, through the called like tick uh instacart she didn't want to go out and do things but she started eating doing one smoothie a day and then she started feeling the energy difference and now she goes for shopping with uh, the, a neighbor apparently that's one of the social connections she developed because she started feeling good and now both of them you know share the recipes to make smoothie and uh, also sh- uh, they're able to afford it because most of the ingredients they can portion it out and then uh, able to um include that in day-to-day life and also she started uh, we went through some of the teachings where we could do the meal makeovers like before a lot of patients even though they were like uh, inspired they didn't know how to make each meal nutritious you know so she started adding in like one day we one of the examples we add was like say that you go to a party which has pizzas she would eat like pizza and like breadsticks and that would had hardly any add any nutrition to it so we started making that same plate like you know we go through the plate of the jump start which is like we divide the plate into half of the fruits and vegetable and one fourth is the protein and one fourth is the healthy grain so uh, she started uh, making that each meal wherever she goes so she would just take a pizza into like one fourth portion and then she would fill in a lot of her uh, half of the plate into a lot of uh vegetables and lots lot of salad patties and all of that she would put it in and then in the one fourth she would just skip and eat uh, uh, just some of the tofu if it's available or just skip that portion and then she would uh, uh, not feel that she's missing out and eating out in with the group but she still stuck to the same plan that was one of the uh, ways she was started uh, eating healthier in each situation she was in and i don't know if uh, dr sankiradi wants to add something in for this
7: yeah i think shruti you uh, you told most of the important points and i think uh, one of the other thing like my patients have challenges with uh, um, they're so busy i mean most of the most of the people around here are like uh, both the husband and wife are working and they have two kids and they're juggling with time so a lot of times like uh, we teach them how to meal prep as well as uh, if they wanna eat incorporate more veggies. Now, most of the grocery stores uh, um, around, the, uh, around the United States, they do sell like packages, packaged salads. So they're a good way of, uh, I mean, you can get like four or five packs of uh, uh, frozen uh, salads and you can put it in the fridge and whenever you have to, you really don't have to think a lot to make a salad. You, you already have a ready-made salad so incorporating that can help you and always I always tell the patients like if you eat like if you eat a salad and uh, with a fruit ball or something and then eat the eat your rice or pasta you're not going to eat as much because you uh, the salad of fills your stomach so that helps a lot uh, with most of the patients who challenge with who have uh, struggled with time and Thank you. Dr. Wendy, there's a question
0: for you in the chat from Nadia. Uh, It's based on your beautiful purple shirt. And she says, I would love to join the Hero of Health Hub. How can I do that? Where can I do
7: that?
5: Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for the comment on the purple. We do love the purple. Um, Yes, it's very simple. You can can, uh, look at our website. It's heroofhealth.com. Sorry, can you see it? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um heroofhealth.com is our website and um you can find us on LinkedIn if you with the handle uh hero of health. Um and our email address is uh hello at heroofhealth.com. Thank you. You know, in the book, guys, at the end of each chapter,
0: there's a lot more about the practitioner and you have so many interesting certifications. Many of them I haven't even heard about. Like, for example, you're a registered yoga teacher. I'd love to know what kind of yoga you do. You're a CrossFit level trainer. You you end your chapter saying 20 years of making health fun and easy. But some of these certifications... Um, Certified trauma-informed professional coach. That's very interesting to me because yesterday, one of the doctors said that she did trauma-informed coaching. And here's one, advanced certification in feminist coaching. So could you talk about some of these unique certifications that I don't think a lot of people might be familiar with?
5: Uh, Are you talking to me, Chef AJ? Yeah, aren't I? I thought that was you. (laughs) Dr. Wendy, that's not you. Oh, there is another Wendy. There's another oh
7: Wendy. no, I'm reading yeah. the wrong Wendy. Help!
5: <laughs> I would love to have all that accolade of. Is she
0: is she coming on, uh, Dr. Malhotra? Is another Wendy coming on? How could I have? Her? I don't. I don't think
3: we have that, Dr. Wendy. Well, the
0: problem is, Dr. Wendy, you didn't put your last name in your Zoom
3: sorry, name, and so sorry. I just could
5: only look up Wendy. So, what is your last name, so I can look you up? Stammers, and i think i'm chapter 30 i think oh no what a faux pas i made no worries at all
0: <laughs> how many how, how, you think there wouldn't be that many Wendy's? Well, you don't I don't think know, I don't know any other Wendy's.
2: Did, did,
0: did 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 most of you meet each other at the american college of lifestyle medicine conference uh
7: not really but we did the boards together uh dr shilpi pradhan saba and uh, Um, There is Dr. Goodkonda, most of us did the boards together, the lifestyle medicine boards together. That's how we know each other. And Dr. Shilpi Pradhan was the one who compiled all these stories, so.
5: And I managed to squeeze in in there because I think I must have been on the American uh, Lifestyle Medicine Facebook group. And I just so happened to see Shilpi's post about the concept of writing a book. Um, with all our stories and I thought it was such an amazing idea and I thought I had no chance Um, but she she let me in
0: (laughs) okay I found you
5: guys yeah that's me founder I found the correct Dr. Wendy
0: right here and you have uh, many interesting things about yourself and oh triathlete that's pretty cool
5: well used to be former former but even then, I remember talking about the, because you get such an array of, of shapes and sizes doing triathlons and and how, you know, impactful doing those kind of sports can be on your health. It was, it was amazing. That's great. You
3: guys all um, transitioned more to a uh, plant-based diet. It sounds like after you discovered lifestyle medicine um, and one of the things you know when we discover something we want to do for ourselves it all makes sense in our head and then you go home and you try to uh you know explain it to your partner what you want to do and then your kids perhaps if they're older and they're all like what are you talking about why would we do that and so one of the things i always like to talk about with my clients and my patients is okay here is how you can talk to your family about it and maybe just in simple terms the benefits of a plant-based diet or uh simple ways that we're going to move towards eating more plants. Do you guys have any tips for people out there who want their families to join them in this uh, plant-based world? So Yeah, think you can go.
6: okay thanks Nandini uh thanks Imran that's uh I I think you shared a little bit of your journey and then your cooking things when we met in the green fair uh we do not have green fair much here uh, kind of restaurant for me to add in but I've always been a vegetarian uh so it wasn't going more plant-based it's just including more plants that was like uh initially I was like okay it, it I didn't have any much resistance in my family as such. My kids were tiny, little, so they didn't have much control over what they ate. But yes, they are challenging now as they're growing and they see the way other people eat in school and cafeteria. That's been an issue. But what has helped in my family for us is actually making more varieties and making it more fun. Uh, like uh, beans was not something, green beans is not something which anybody liked in my you know, my kids, but now we make it in so much easier and fun way. In fact, we did have a, a family of four who had come in and they, the kids did not like any vegetables, but uh, we microwaved it in a, you know, like long string beans and we started with a little bit of garlic and a little bit of salt. And then it felt like a stick. They would call it like a they would call it like a green fries and then they ate it and they were like, they loved it. Now a mommy's like, how did you make it? And then we including that uh, in her, uh, apparently one of our favorites right now. But I think for us, we struggled more with... Uh, I'll talk about Indian food before. Like in, I think in the ancient India, when they would eat, I think they were eating more like the way we are eating in plant-based whole foods method. But now uh, it thinks it's changed and all the portions have changed. It's become more processed uh, carbohydrates and processed food and very little of vegetables. But I think for us in our family, we have gone more towards like a very, uh, you know, we cook without oil and we make a lot of different kind of vegetables. We go more varieties, So we do make it a very similar to what Asian would eat, Asian Indians would eat. And now um, it's become more of, colorful for them so they enjoy my kids and my family they love that they feel more fuller rather than before they would eat a vegetarian meal but it was not a well proportioned. they would be constantly considering of um feeling hungry but now including more of like sprouted lentils and sprouted uh uh you know bean sprouts and all of this it is filled in their things and they found it like really crunchy and the taste is more fun they're more welcome to add in those things and also uh if they they don't feel Hungry. That's why they feel like, oh, okay, even though I'm eating only plant-based and more of vegetables, I'm more full. And then even when we go on vacations now, um, they we stop in a grocery store and we buy all these tiny, you know, food packs, which is all um, you know, tiny, tiny cute they make this really nice carrots tomatoes and broccoli thing so we just carry it on and that's their snack instead of like asking mommy can we get a fast food or anything so it was well taken in our family and then it's we all are eating a lot of vegetables uh more than when we used to eat just even though we're vegetarian this has been more of more plant-based whole foods focus yeah want to add something
5: in there something that uh my children really enjoyed was i we we create hero of health we created a fiber uh chart um and so and and kind of divided it between in terms of the legumes the ve- different vegetables the fruits um the the nuts and seeds and those kind of things and actually we i have that up on our um, on our whiteboard, and they're often actually adding up and calculating their fiber content. And we, you know, we've tried to look at trying to aim for at least forty grams of fiber a day. Um, and 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 again like you Shruti, with the colors the colors of the rainbow have you had a yellow have you had a green have you had a red um you know and and looking at the real varieties and and I'm even catching them now taking photos of their colorful plates and and actually really owning it and feeling proud and in, and bringing them into the kitchen and and them cooking themselves and and, and we talk about, you know, actually eating in abundance, we, there's such a reductionism, um, mindset out there. Um, and everybody is feeling like they're on a diet and, and, you know, we're, we're constantly saying, what, what more can we add? So what else can we add there? And, um, oh, have you, have you had your, 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 you, you know, your broccoli or your, um, your, uh, arug- arugula, I think you call it over there as we call it rocket. Um, and, and that, eating in abundance and variety and color i think has been has been really helpful
7: yeah i think my kids would love french fries but when we made the sweet potato fries the big sweet potato fries with seasoning they really liked it yeah and even the chips if the kids love chips but you yeah. can the same kale chips in the air fryer and it tastes good yes yeah. so, and the rainbow i agree with the rainbow because kids love uh, having colors in their plate like we all do as well yeah I mean, now i'm um, I'm such a salad person. I want to eat salad every afternoon. I mean my lunch, I really want to eat salad. If I don't eat salad, I miss something yeah so, uh so that that really helps like i mean um and the days when I don't eat salad, I feel the difference in in the way i my body feels like I feel
5: exhausted yeah yeah, yeah. I think the the other thing that i've I've demonstrated is pe it was it's been such a massive learning curve and I didn't know what a whole grain was when I came on this journey I had no idea I didn't you you hear it but I I had no idea and actually finding them was impossible in our supermarkets um and so once I gathered them and actually showed them the contrast between you know really sort of refined oats compared to the full oat growth and actually go looking through those stages of processing we we open those conversations up and we talk about the acts of processing and and just in the car drive on, on my way home um this afternoon with with my youngest oliver um he i asked him what he had at school because he had a school lunch today um and he he said he he's opting for more plant-based foods um uh you know when he has a school lunch but we can control it at home but it's when they go they go to school it's it's more difficult and then I said and was was there a pudding so he had a vegetarian pasta and then he had a they gave a cookie and he said I just took one bite of it and it was disgusting and I thought what made it disgusting it was so sweet And and actually talking to them about the change in their mouth microbiome and the change in their taste buds and and I said to him why do you think that is Oliver he said well because my taste buds are changed I I don't like all that sweet stuff I'd prefer an apple yeah I've
2: seen I've seen
5: that happen like I mean typically
7: it takes like uh, I always tell my patients it takes twenty eight days for your taste buds to recycle. So and uh, a lot of times I even realized this, like people, uh, the sleep also makes a huge role in the food what you eat yes. the next day. Because if you don't sleep well, the next mo- next day, you're going to crave for more carbohydrates, more sugars and more salty food in your diet. And because your ghrelin level, the hunger hormone level goes off the roof. So um, if I see patients who are craving for like salty foods and unprocessed sugars. And like, I mean, I want to eat more rice. I mean, you have to think about the underlining. Like I tell, I ask them like how their sleep is. And most of the time, the sleep plays a major role on your food choices the next day. So if you sleep well, then you are, you tend to make healthier choices the, next, uh, the following day and you have more energy to exercise and you, you you have control over your mood so, um, so, so still. Um, I mean, if you're craving for all those things, watch out how you're sleeping. So, yeah, great point
6: you mentioned about uh, sleep, and also you talked about mood too, right? Like in uh, that, yeah. uh, I want to focus. I want to. Uh, Touch a little bit on how uh, eating a plant based, you know, high fiber food can help your mental health as well. I do see quite a bit of patients who do have a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. A lot of people do are on medication like SSRIs where they're trying to lift up the hormone serotonin to feel good. Uh, so that's when one of the focus I started talking about is like how we eat a whole food plant based diet, usually, which is so rich in tryptophan, uh, like increased fiber, which gives you the good gut and, uh, you know, brain microbiome. And the gut and uh, brain relationship Mm -hmm. uh, more you serve your you know serve your your stomachover like the more you eat the plant-based food which is so rich in tryptophan you uh, you do have the tremendous tryptophan which converts to serotonin in your brain which gives you a happy feeling and then it does help you in you know improving your mood and then that's when you start making more healthier choices it also helps in a lot of way you feel during day and also it helps you increasing in exercise and the whole mood so it's one of I don't know, for me, nutrition and especially increasing plant based is like one of the root causes of changing the way you are. It increases your mood, the way you feel, that makes you feel like exercising more. And then when you exercise more, you feel like, okay, you'll be tired enough to sleep. And also like when you're feeling well, you tend to make a little bit more, you know, tend to reach out and make more social connections as well. So it's... Definitely.
7: Yeah,
2: yeah. actually,
6: there was
7: this Harvard study, which was done. Like, I mean, people who eat more unprocessed unprocessed food, they're more depressed, I mean, you can see like people who eat more fast foods, they're extremely depressed. So, uh, yes, definitely the the mood is affected by the, what you eat.
6: Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of my patients, since I do get a lot of obesity medicine, uh, I do get a lot of patients who are trying to lose weight and then... The first thing they come again, as you said, sleep, everything when we evaluate and we, Mm -hmm. I do do a lot of uh, pillars, which needs to be optimized and uh, they are still struggling though. They're not able to do this. They're not able to do that. But one of the things we start like one meal by meal and they talk about like, oh, I haven't lost any weight. I haven't lost any weight. They come back after a couple of weeks and stuff. And then I'm like, how do you feel generally? Like I know you're doing these changes. Like, you know, yeah, they switch from eating, uh like going from like eating like full American breakfast of like our southern breakfast. And then they start making like overnight oats. They're like it feels good. Yes. And they keep doing it. So our goal is to eat the overnight oats, like which is rich in a lot of fiber, a lot of nutrients, like antioxidants. And then they come in and they're like, I, I don't really, I didn't really lose weight, but I'm like, how do you feel otherwise? Hmm. Actually, I've never felt this good. I've never felt this clear. The fog is gone and mm-hmm. I feel like eating it every day. And then uh, actually, even though I, uh, you know, my kids are noticing that my, I'm feeling more energetic and they're going for a walk more. So I'm like, there it is. So weight loss will come later but this is what which gives you a lot more you know sustainable energy to continue to do what you need to do for weight loss. that's where we kind of yeah, go in
7: that's true that's that's definitely true because uh, i mean weight loss is not just something like hey uh, yeah, because a lot of times like practitioners, as we practitioners, we always tell, hey, eat less, work out more, you're going to lose weight. And that doesn't happen that way. There are a lot of factors which go into effect. And I have patients like who, who drink alcohol, who smoke and who do all kinds of stuff, like eat out every day. And they're like, okay, well, um, I'm taking this medication. I'm, uh, as obesity medicine prescribers, we do uh, prescribe GLP-1s. But like the thing is, it's overall, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, uh, there are a lot of things which go inside uh, in the weight gain part. So you definitely have to change your diet. That's the number one thing. And you definitely have to exercise and keep your stress under control because a lot of times like your stress increases your cortisol level. I mean, a lot of times you can't control the stress, but the way you react to that stress makes a huge difference.
6: Yeah. And then when you eat a lot of this, when you eat an apple, you can control the stress much better than when you eat a fry. Right. <laughs> <Hi. laughs> yeah. It's so funny. We talk about fiber so much. And my son, uh, who is like five and he starts eating, he likes to drink kefir every day. I don't know why he's stuck into calories. I never crowd calories. Now he's like, mama, this is this much calories. And it has only one gram of fiber. Is it good? I'm like, "We can go up on the fiber by eating something. <laughs> yeah
7: yeah and people do think that diet cokes are much healthier than the cokes but
5: unfortunately the diet cokes are even more dangerous than the cokes mm.
2: so, yeah. we
5: often share with our patients that um there's the saying that if you have small hard poos you have to have big hospitals but if you have a nice big large soft poos you can have small hospitals just because of that that impact on our health so and going back to the the brain gut axis you know we know that that 90% of the serotonin that we release actually comes from our gut and, and it's, which is fueled by feeding our gut bugs. You know, those, those good healthy gut bugs are are the things that will release that serotonin. So, so that, that was massive when I, when I understood that, I always just thought that it was, you know, released from the brain. Um, And that was where the majority was. So So another indication and a visual for patients to appreciate actually feeding your gut, you know, creates that, that serotonin to lift your mood.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you guys. Those are all really, really awesome tips. Um, we have our next speaker um, here, uh, but is there any final words of wisdom that you guys would like to share based on your journeys? So a lot of times
7: like, I mean, uh, you never get time to make healthy changes. You just have to make time. So that's um, a great point. We all
3: have we all have uh, the same amount of time in a day, but what makes the difference in our lives is what we do with that time, right? So that is a, a beautiful distinction.
2: Yeah,
6: I think for my uh, last notice, like, yes, sometimes we do fail. During those days, we just have to say that it was just a bad day, not the whole journey is gone and start back again fresh next day. And I've done gone through that myself every day. And then I'm like, okay, it was just a bad day and tomorrow start fresh. And then that's it, yeah.
5: I think yeah. for me, it's very much, sorry, uh, Chef AJ, is, is just think about what you can add uh, some really small steps if if you're thinking about you know eating that piece of cake don't tell yourself not to have a pe- have something high fiber first you know get into those have a have a pear at hand have some raspberries have, have something fibrous beforehand and then have the pear fir- and then have the cake if you want it your body is prepared it's the gut is lined you won't absorb as much of the the, sh- the sugar but also you'll be fuller and you actually may not want that pet, that piece of cake, you know, eventually, but, but add more.
0: We have a question from a live viewer from Susanna and any of you or all of you can ask it. And she's wondering, do your families eat healthfully? And if they do, do you have any tips on moving teens and young adults towards this way of eating? It's not easy when they're older.
6: Great question. Uh, I don't have older kids, but uh, uh, in my practice, we do focus on family. Uh, you know, family well-being, and we do uh, focus on meeting the patients and the teen together. You know, in in shared medical appointments, and that is like I think most what has helped is like education. I think when we educate it and then understand what are the benefit it has and what are the harms of not eating the healthy ways, actually one of the changing things which I feel has made a big difference. And also when a parent is making the change and uh, slow by slow, they're more welcome to question. And first they might reject it. And then seeing that, you know, parent is doing it, they get inspired to try changes. And also another thing is not making like, you know, uh, I wouldn't go it like, you need to stop eating this rather than like, why don't you try this too, along with that, say that if they want to eat a French fries with that, like, okay, I have a side salad too. Like, Wendy was mentioning high fiber first and then a cake. It's most of it is like when they're trying to introduce along with what they were doing it, like say that they would go to uh, like uh, one of the patient did have um, like they would only eat like potatoes for breakfast or something. So along with it is one of the things of changing into air fryer helped one, as in like frying the potatoes or like hash browns and adding in more of their favorite vegetable to one of them and making it more creative way actually has helped so far. Uh, that's all I can think from the top of mind if at all other two has
7: to chip in. Yeah, I think I think uh, um, uh, kids do change by observing the parents. So the parents have to change first if you're trying to deal with a teenager, for sure. At the same time, like I'm mean, trying to replace it instead of if they're ice cream eating, like I'm mean, try to change to frozen yogurt. And things like that, where, where you're not taking away the, an ice cream from them, but like you're replacing it with a healthy option. So a lot of facts, like if they're, uh, they're eating a lot of rice, replacing it with quinoa and uh, with all the veggies and like trying to teach that way, like where you're not taking away their favorite meal from them, but like replacing it with something else kind of helps.
3: Yeah, I love that focus on a bun- like an abundance mindset and uh, focus on all the things we can eat. I, I think I heard Dr. Wendy talk about plant points in their house. Um, We have something similar. We have rainbow charts. So we have uh, like this chart for the whole week with every different color of the rainbow and different foods that the kids can eat of the different uh, of the rainbow. And it, it has literally become a competition in our house of who can get all of the seven colors. Uh, so it it becomes fun. Uh, it does take time. It's not easy, but it's worth it.
5: Yeah, I I I feel uh, the competitive uh, strain. The uh, simran we have exactly the same, but it but it's fun and also, um, like just like uh, Nadini said, you know, it, it's it's small steps and trying, you know, people don't want to be told what to do and what not to do, but but those suggestions of actually, you know, you want that packet of crisps, I, you know, I get it, that's what we've had before, but what can you eat first? Can we cut up some carrots and, you know, have some hummus and, you know, what actual plants can we eat first and, and what does that food look like? Is it real food? And and just start those conversations um, and and small little snippets of, of what real food benefits of real food yeah
3: and and kids are kids are just little adults i mean they want just as much of a choice in what they're going to eat especially after the age of i would say five as any adult um so i think the more you involve them in the process of what you're going to be eating as a family the better it's going to be because Maybe they're just not in the mood for tofu today. Maybe they want mac and cheese. So find a good vegan mac and cheese recipe and make it together. And it'll it'll go much easier if we include them.
5: Yeah, completely agree.
3: All righty. Well, thank you guys. Dr. Shruti, Dr. Wendy, Dr. Nandini. This is awesome. You guys shared some really, really Insightful and important information, especially about the power of plants and how to incorporate it into our lives. Um, so, we have our next two speakers here. And I would love to introduce Dr. Mithika Kanabar. Uh, Dr. Mithika Kanabar completed her fellowship in addiction medicine at the prestigious Stanford University. She is a triple board certified physician in addiction medicine, lifestyle medicine, and family medicine. She is dedicated to improving the lives of people with addiction and providing holistic care in recovery. She currently practices addiction medicine and lifestyle medicine in Southern California. She is an international public speaker on various addiction topics, including alcohol use, opioid use, gaming, digital overuse, and aspects of our relationship with food. Being motivated by yoga philosophy, Dr. Kanavar is an avid gardener and proponent of leading a balanced lifestyle. So excited to have you, Dr. Mitka. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank
8: you for having me
0: here today, Chef AJ and Dr. Malhotra, such a such a wonderful opportunity. Uh, you, you, you were muted. And also, doctors, please always tell people where you're from, your websites, if you take patients in person or virtually, and any social media handles as well, because we can't mm-hmm. fit everything in the show notes for each one of you.
8: Absolutely. Thank you for uh, reminding me of that. So I currently work in Southern California. I'm a part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. So I basically work for Kaiser Permanente. And uh, we. I have an addiction medicine practice and we also have a lifestyle medicine practice with Dr. Melinda and Dr. Karanam out here in Lancaster. And we are always open to our patients who are in network uh, who want to get more help, whether it is with lifestyle or uh, disease modification, as uh, I know several speakers have discussed already. So in our program, patients go through a ten week course of ten uh, week course of um, uh, topics on lifestyle medicine, and uh, they move along that and also get one to one consultations with MD. So which is a fantastic opportunity. And as far as addiction medicine is concerned, uh, we see all uh, issues related to addiction in our patient practice, and then refer them to care as need be. Uh, my social media handle is uh, at KanabarMD, both for Twitter and Instagram, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, website for for me will be mitikakanabar.com, which is first name last name.com. And email uh, is mindsatwa at gmail.com. And I can put that in the chat or in the notes later. Um, So uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Malhotra, for this opportunity. I would like to take some time and talk about my experience with lifestyle medicine and, you know, involvement with the book that Dr. Pradhan has so nicely compiled and created. And what a wonderful journey it has been. I'll I'll... I'll read a few lines from my chapter. And it's called, so where do you get your protein? Because that's essentially what we hear anytime we talk about lifestyle medicine. It is more preferable to do your own responsibly, responsibility imperfectly than others' responsibility perfectly. And this is from one of my favorite books, The Bhagavad Gita. And the reason I begin the chapter with yeah. this is uh, we will I, talk. Is, a I'm
0: bit sorry, more. I'm sorry to interrupt, but people are saying your sound is muffled. So, like when you turned your head, we couldn't hear you. So you've got to kind of stay either close to the mic because we want to hear everything you have to say.
8: All right. Uh, can Can you give me a brief second so I can switch or uh, put on my headphones? Is that okay?
0: I'm um, sure that's okay. But we we just what you say is so important. We don't want to have to miss a single. Absolutely.
8: Point. I think it's right here. Give me a second. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Am I the only one here now? (laughs) Other than I'll use this opportunity to tell you this is day two of the How Healers Heal Summit. 33 female plant-based physicians came together to write this wonderful book and share their stories. We're featuring 24 of them on the show over three days. This is almost the end of day two. You can watch day one. This is already on YouTube. and Day three will be Tomorrow. And feel free to ask questions by putting them in the chat on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. I don't see Twitter comments
8: for some reason.
0: And we are back. Wonderful.
8: Thank you. Is this better? Oh, it is so much better. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. It's a little bulky. So I try to use without the mic, but if it, you know, it needs to be audible. Um, Food is a constant in our lives for our bodies to live, grow, and thrive. Yet, there are many perceptions, likes, dislikes, and cultural norms attached to food. Throw in a mixture of a growing family, unsupported partners or roommates, steeped gender roles, and extended family preferences, and meal prepping becomes a never-ending source of pain, unfortunately. Let's take a walk down my memory lane and tease apart some experiences. So after this, I kind of go into my story. About how I got to lifestyle medicine, and um, m- many, many thanks to Dr. Steve Lavenda, whom I know, uh, you know, uh, personally, uh, Chef AJ. and I attended his program, and uh, you know, and then uh, I got motivated with my by my friends uh, Sadna and Radhika locally, and they just got me down this path, and here I am today. Um, so I would also want to talk about what has, I know we've had wonderful discussions over the last couple of days about, you know, what's lifestyle medicine, what motivates people. I did outline some simple steps for the readers. Um, and I would like to just briefly read the title headings, Mm -hmm. steps to simple changes, figure out which method works for you, whether setting a three week challenge or slowly cutting back over time. Keep reading more recipes, listening to blogs, kind of get immersed in the subculture, so to speak. Take baby steps, buy ingredients for one salad. Don't try to stock your fridge and then have to throw everything away at the end of the week. You do one thing at a time. Enlist help from family. You should not be doing it all by yourself. Prep or plan for the week with your significant other if possible. Share ideas a week before, not when everyone is in HALT, and we use this acronym a lot in addiction, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. It is also okay to step away and take a break. Most importantly, have utmost compassion for any and all efforts that you make. And then a few more options is... Uh, focus on your sleep, drawing boundaries, getting help with kitchen work. This is what I can do right now. I need to be in bed by so-and-so time. Trying to fit in exercise somewhere into this will help. Whether it is only five minutes after lunch, make us progress and start somewhere. Social connections. For me, it has always been social connections that helps the most with lifestyle medicine. It's this, this enchanting and amazing group of people who keep us motivated and we keep each other growing and enjoy. This is an amazing journey to begin your self-discovery. So this is what I wanted to read from the book. I
2: want
0: you to know, I just texted Dr. Lewenda to tell him to jump on because you're live right now. Wonderful. I just saw him actually, I was in LA last week. So that was, that was great.
8: Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that was, do you guys still have that wonderful program there? That, uh, I think it was called One, Plants 180 at Kaiser
8: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we still have Life 180 and now we have added the physician consult. So you go, go through Life 180 and you do a check-in with a physician, which is uh, just a phenomenal uh, service that's available for patients. Right, so you have to
0: be a, a Kaiser Permanente member in order to see you, correct? Yes. Yeah, I thought so.
8: Oh. Yes. Um, and, you know, in this journey, I wanted to uh, speak towards like gender roles because this is something I come across all the time. And I'm not sure if any of the speakers so far have talked about it. Um, either Dr. Malhotra or Chef AJ, feel free to chime in.
3: I don't think we've heard about that. So, if you want to share some thoughts around it, sure.
8: Sure. Okay. So, you know, whenever we ask a patient to, you know, hey, you've got diabetes, you've got blood pressure issues, uh, how about making some lifestyle changes? And it somehow seems to be simpler for, um, for, for, uh, Patients, uh, you know, uh, who have like family backing for sure. And it's sim- somehow more simpler for males compared to females sometimes, especially because I'm Indian. So I'm speaking in that context as well. Um, there is this, okay, I need to do this so I will get it done. But when it comes to women, I see a lot of other ideas that come forth. Well, how can I do this? What will everybody else eat? What will people think? how can we do how can we do any of these changes at all? And sometimes it's also kind of self-loathing like oh, I'm not a queen. how can I decide what's going to be cooked in my house today and to fit my needs for my diabetes or for my hypertension? I have to be make sure that everybody else is fed with whatever their food is first. So let me make like five different recipes today for, you know, this one wants to eat, this person B wants to eat, this and person C wants to eat that. And then, and I also have two jobs and school. And so I will have to be able to cook in the middle of the night to do any lifestyle goals. So there's always this so much other emotional load that goes into us uh, women making changes. And certainly all of us have experienced that from time to time. And uh, it kind of remains in the shadows or not s- spoken about. So I thought it, today will be a good time to, to talk about that. And, you know, over the years, I've looked at it very differently. You know, the initial is like, why is it so? You know, you want to be upset about this uh, and you have to flip that script. You have to understand with compassion where this may come from. So uh, I'm, I grew up in India, so I'm going to speak in that context. Uh, you know, uh, when we were growing up, this is right after food insecurity kind of went away. We had the green revolution and the white revolution. So we had more grains and dairy after many, many centuries of colonization. So it's finally, you don't have that much food insecurity, but you had all of these deaths and famines that preceded in the previous century itself. So the memory in a cultural sense, was still fresh. So, you know, having extra food, having more high calorie food is associated with living and is associated with this is you're doing right by your family. Unfortunately, now that uh, the script has flipped on, uh, at least in the middle class population, it unfortunately is still true uh, in the lower socioeconomic strata, like, you know, you need to get your calories in, yes. Um, And it has become that we have all the not so good kind of foods available over abundantly around you and very little of the nice fresh fruits fresh vegetables all of that uh, but the social norms have not caught up so that is one aspect the second aspect is this intergenerational sort of cycle so like you know if say you are you know uh, a girl who you know grows up to be a, la- a lady, gets married. You go into this household. Hope maybe it's an intergenerational household where you have maybe one or two generations who are preceding you in the same kitchen or cooking together. And then it's like, okay, you have to have. It's almost like you know med school. Like you have to have like X number of years that you try to fit into their narrative or their recipes for like ten to fifteen years until you get the ability to take decisions. No, no, this recipe or this soup, simple soup I like in this way with this kind of flavoring. Like even that smallest um, expression in culinary ways is not afforded to you until maybe a decade later. by then you've you've changed your your likes and dislikes have changed as we all grow. And then you are—you have your own set of recipes or maybe you have your own kitchen or you have some kind of standing where, oh, she cooks well or whatever. This is how she cooks and this is the way it is made. And then it also becomes like a control issue. This is the only way that I can say that I have some amount of semblance of control in my life. So there are so many aspects, you know, from a philosophical standpoint that go into that. And then comes you know, with all of the other stresses or just modern life, you get hit with a diagnosis of whether it is diabetes, high blood pressure, or you just want, you've just, you know, you've had some weight creep and you want to lose weight. And then somebody comes and tells you, well, uh, we need to go back to the previous model. So before all of this happened, before the colonization happened, we used to eat fresh, we eat daily. We used to have these kind of recipes. They would be balanced in nature. They would be good for your body. And it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) I finally had control in my life in some way or in what I was cooking, but now I have to completely change it around. So it's it's a big deal. It's a big shock in one direction. On the other hand, there are some other themes that also go into it. So your value as a wife or a mom is somehow ascribed to what you're cooking or how much you're cooking or how much you are overdoing everything to serve others. Almost like in a codependent fashion. Um, and if you don't do that, then society also will come tell you all of these things. You are a bad mom. You are a bad wife. How can you do this? Sacrilege, How can you cook with less oil? How can you ever do that? What will your children eat? You guys are going to be malnourished. You are going to hear a lot from society as well. So it, it puts the woman in a very difficult position, as to how do I navigate this? How do I understand what my self-worth is? What is my compassion to myself? What is my compassion to the people who are making these comments? Most importantly, where do we go from here? And it's when we when we think of many people who talk in lifestyle medicine or other, you know, there are tons of people out there saying this is the US fad or that's the US fad, not much of it evidence-based. Um There is this whole pre-contemplative phase and contemplative phase, but there's so much more culturally that goes beyond it that needs to be spoken about.
3: I mean, you touched on so many points that I feel like could be a conversation in and of itself. Uh, I I think just... As someone, especially many of us in uh, that wrote chapters in this book, right? Many of us, obviously, we're all female, but many of us are also mothers, we're wives, and then we're doctors. So we wear all these hats, and many of us are coaches. So we wear all these hats where we're constantly giving, 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 and pouring into other people. And what I learned in my journey is that I became the patient, and there was one day where I literally just couldn't do anything for myself anymore after having, you know, a huge unexpected uh, emergency after my surgeries. And in that moment, I realized like, okay, you know, self-care is not selfish. That's the way we've been taught about it all along. Self-care is my self-preservation, right? So if I want to keep, being the mother to my children and the wife to my husband and the doctor to my patients, I have to take care of myself first. I have to feed myself first. I have to move my body first. I have to, you know, do all the things first. I essentially have to put my own oxygen mask on first, regardless of what generations of, you know, generations of people might have told women and what society expects of women. Um, So at the end of the day, I think you just have to put you first. Uh, and I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that. But once you do that, it will change your life and it will change the life of all the people who matter most to you.
8: Right. So, so well said, uh, Dr. Malhotra, really. I Sorry, Chef Ajay you were saying. Something. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's
0: so interesting to me because I didn't realize how many doctors are also coaches. And I'm taking a six-month a coaching certification with Food Revolution. And today was the first... day that we were learning this. And they were saying how when you're coaching, you want to listen and not give advice and not talk. And I think like when you go to the doctor in general, doctors, I'm not saying they don't listen, but they are giving advice. They are telling you what to do. So it must be an interesting balance when you are a medical doctor and have a, whether it's a patient or a client, and you know what will make them well, but in the coaching aspect, you can't necessarily work with them the same way. You know what I mean?
3: But you know what the cool thing about coaching, um, and we don't learn the philosophies of coaching and behavior change uh, in medical school. But the beautiful thing about it is when you as a once you're a doctor, and then you go through the coaching training, the first person you actually learn to listen to is yourself. Because they ask so many deep questions, right? Like trying to uncover your why and figuring out your motivation for life. Like that's, that's, those are the principles on which we help people change. And once you start like reading those questions, you, they ask you in my coaching training, they always ask us to ask ourselves the question first and answer the question before we go then and share it with our clients. Um, so it's, it's an incredible field, I think, you know, health and wellness coaching, because it helps us first, just like lifestyle medicine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, doctor, I would like to ask you in your bio, uh, it says that you practice addiction medicine. And I mean, what does that mean? Because who like, who would come to you, for example, and how are you able to use what you do to help people with their lifestyle? Obviously, if they're addicted to something, I'm sure they're part of the conversation is getting off whatever the, the behavior or the drug is. But when can you talk to them about a plant based diet? And how are you willing to wear both hats?
8: Thank you. That's an excellent question. And uh, it's, it's, It's very interesting to combine the two, and in fact, I, you know, to your conversation with Dr. Malhotra, I love bringing my addiction medicine skills when I'm talking about lifestyle because that changes the narrative. Like, what is your belief, and why can you not do the self care for yourself? Like, we try to explore that over time and see where we go from there. So, as far as addiction medicine, um, you know, any. MD who's done residency, say for example, family medicine, internal medicine, any clinical branches, you can do a fellowship in addiction medicine. So I did mine after my family medicine residency. I did my fellowship in addiction medicine at Stanford University with Dr. Anna Lemke, and then oh my
0: gosh, she's been on the show. She's amazing. That that's really cool. <laughs>
8: Yeah, so she she is phenomenal, right? And then so uh, later on, I practiced in primary care and addiction medicine for a while in San Francisco, and then moved to Southern California to do more addiction medicine. And then uh, that's kind of how it works. Uh, so patients can call directly; they don't even need a referral. Whether they think that they are struggling from an alcohol or substance use, or they want to just get evaluated. Hey, is my uh, you know alcohol use getting out of hand? or sometimes it's even smoking. Like I've tried the usual stuff for smoking. I want to go see the specialist, how do I quit smoking? So we get direct calls from the patients or they can be referred by their primary care physician. Uh, Either ways it works. You get triaged and evaluated depending on the urgency of the situation. Um, For outpatient, we do like withdrawal management. So if you quit drinking, then it can be dangerous, right? You can have seizures. So we give medications to help kind of ease the withdrawal, or even send uh, send you to a residential treatment facility. That's kind of the overview of how it works. And then after that facility, that's not that's not it then the real process of recovery starts so you see us one to one, the therapist the, you do our classes and uh, we see you over pretty much over the next one year and then we ease off like every six months or so so it depends on patient to patient how their recovery is going and as far as lifestyle changes are concerned when it's in the first week or two patients are not really even, having much of an appetite. So we don't say too much at that time, except make sure that you sleep okay and that you have social connections. So those two things we always advocate. Um, from a biopsychosocial standpoint for addiction medicine. But once they are like a month or two into recovery, that's kind of where, you know, I'm one of the few people who practices lifestyle medicine. So then I'm like, okay, so what are we doing about your hypertension? Because once you stop drinking or using uh, substances, your blood pressure will come down, but not necessarily low enough to uh, be considered like in, in proper limits. And so we have the conversation, like what are you willing to do? And they might be willing to do some small steps based on you know, what their financial and practical situation is, whether you know they are housed, whether they have somebody supporting, whether they have the financial resources. And uh, they're all welcome to our Life 180 program. And uh, many patients do that. So because they already have learned the recovery skills, the coping skills, trigger management skills in their addiction program, they're kind of almost ace lifestyle medicine, which is fabulous to see.
0: I'm so interested as an addiction doctor, where you stand on food addiction, because I've mean, I've I've had done almost 2000 shows. Now I've had a lot of medical doctors on PhDs, and some of them think that's not even a real thing. We shouldn't even be calling
8: it that. So it's fascinating, right? So there's always this uh, debate between eating disorder and food addiction. And I am very very excited about the topic so i chaired the california society of addiction medicine conference a couple of years ago and we actually had a spicy debate between the two parties and it was phenomenal so food addiction, yes, there's a lot of research going on. The uh, head of uh, NIAAA, Dr. George Hoob, is actually working on it from how do we prove it from a brain imaging standpoint. Uh, we are just, uh, you know, fascinating work is coming out of there. We, we are waiting for the clinical translation of what they are discovering at a brain level. Um, so there can be two aspects. You have your regular food, like your whole food plant-based diet, right? So you are not It's like very hard to get addicted to a whole food plant-based diet. But then you have the ultra processed food where the evidence shows that it almost behaves like tobacco in some ways. And so a lot of the food addiction work is on UPFs or ultra processed foods and how they have features that are distinct from what we would consider a binge eating disorder. So that's like my two two lines on it. (laughs) Thank you so much, yeah. Well, I, you know, I think part of the problem is
0: the name food addiction because you can't really be addicted to, like you say, whole natural plant foods or eating, but I think it's like processed food addiction. Yes.
8: Yes. So UPF, uh, ultra processed food addiction is definitely what's being researched right now and developing clinical models for that. Now, as far as what do I see in recovery? So if you do quit one substance, your, your body is going to need that dopamine from some other sources. So you will have a pattern of eating more of those ultra processed foods to satisfy that craving, so to speak. Um, and so we do talk early on with patients like, hey, where are you going with that? Or sometimes unfortunately, uh, we can also see a very restrictive pattern. so people can flip on the side of um, you know, towards anorexia type symptoms and that is also very concerning. So we always uh, keep an eye out for for those issues when a patient is in early recovery. Uh, I did want to throw in a plug, Chef uh, AJ, if I may. Of course. Yes. So with, uh, I'm uh, currently writing a book on addiction medicine for lifestyle medicine professionals. Hope to be done by the end of this year. And it's just going to be kind of of hoping to have an easy flow, bringing patient stories to life in an amalgamative manner. And then what we can do as lifestyle medicine uh, practitioners. Well, make sure you do an
0: audible version because I like to listen more than read. And that's a topic that I'm very interested in. And so maybe when you watch it, you can come on the show for a solo episode. You know, one of the medical doctors who says food addiction isn't a thing or isn't real, uh, the reasoning this doctor uses is because you can't die of the, from the detox. So is that a criterion to decide whether a substance is addictive or not, whether or not you can actually die from the
8: detox process? No, not necessarily. So as far as DSM-5 is concerned, so now when the the food addiction scales that Dr. Gerhardt and Dr. Kuba are developing are very different from the DSM uh, that is a diagnostic and statistical manual scale that we use for addiction. So uh, the scale is also not going to be different when it becomes clinical. So that's, again, it's going to be a different, completely different set of criteria that they are currently vetting as we speak, right? Um, and no, there shouldn't be sort of oh you you only if you can um, uh, lose your life in detox. So that would not be a fair assumption to make.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That must have been fascinating working with Dr. Lemke. Oh, one of
8: it such such an experience, and that too I got to work with her one one on one for a year because I was the only fellow for that year. Fabulous. Wow, and that you were close to me then that that's really neat. Well, thank you so much, yeah, when the book comes
0: out, let me know it sounds and will the book be only for clinicians or could lay people also read it and glean some information from it?
8: uh I think uh, it should be accessible for both. okay. the way I'm writing it uh, it's kind of much very easy flowing.
0: great. Well, congratulations, we know we well not we all know, but all of us who've written a book know how long it takes and how hard it is to write a book. Thank you so much for your time yeah thank you for being here
3: thank you dr Mithika and now i am excited to introduce our next speaker is dr shilpi pradhan she is a board and wait she is the fearless leader behind this whole project how healers heal um, so i'm very excited to introduce her uh, she is a board certified ophthalmologist board-certified lifestyle medicine doctor, mother of four beautiful children, and a personal finance and real estate enthusiast. She's interested in the impact lifestyle medicine can make on eye diseases and overall health. She went to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia for college, Washington University in St. Louis uh, for medical school. Um, Her training included a transitional year at Carilion Health Systems uh, in Virginia, and an ophthalmology residency at the Medical College of Virginia, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia, and a cornea external disease and refractory surgery fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. She also uh, has been an assistant professor at St. Louis University in St. Louis and loved teaching residents before moving to Virginia. She owns her own solo practice, uh, I, Dr. MD MDPC in Glen Allen, Virginia, since 2015, and practices ophthalmology with lifestyle medicine education for her patients. This book, How Healers Heal, was a project conceived by Dr. Padan and Dr. Sharif in January of 2023 about how transformative lifestyle medicine has been in our in their lives. And with shared enthusiasm from Dr. Huber and Dr. Sunkaretti, this project was born. Dr. Pradhan has a passion for writing, editing, and creating. She led the project, edited the chapters, designed the website, and published the book under her company, Pradhan Publications. So if you are interested in publishing your own book, she is definitely someone to reach out to. Welcome, Dr. Shilpi.
4: Thank you, Simran. Thank you, Simran. Can you hear me okay?
3: Yes, we can.
4: Okay, Great. Thank you for hosting us, Chef AJ and Dr. Simran. This is an amazing opportunity for us to share our message. As you already heard, this this just kind of started as a conversation with Dr. Sabah Sharif uh, last year, a year ago, January. And we were just talking about how transformative lifestyle medicine has been in our lives. You heard from Dr. Sharif yesterday about how it impacted her weight loss and her father's heart journey. And it impacted mine, which I'm going to talk about. And we were just talking like, wouldn't it be great to put out a book? And, And through the power of social media, we got together this amazing group of female physicians. It was actually a little bit bigger in the beginning, but those who submitted a chapter and edited with me together to get to the final product that's how the final book happened and we have been so grateful that the american college of lifestyle medicine has embraced the book has allowed us to do the donation once we get to our goal to help their heal scholarship which is for health equity and in improving the access to lifestyle medicine and their partnership and support has been amazing we were able to present the book at the conference the last October. So amazing, amazing. Any questions about the creation of the book? And I just wanted to talk about my story and my chapter as well as some ophthalmology patients who I've impacted with my lifestyle medicine knowledge, which I wouldn't have before you know, learning about all of this.
0: I'd love to ask about the book because I'm not a doctor, but I interview a lot of doctors and I've hosted six summits now, so probably close to 300 doctors. And I find just to organize them for a series of interviews is kind of like herding cats. And I'm just so impressed that Dr. Malhotra could get 24 of you guys. What was the process like? Was it difficult to, I mean, to get all these 24 stories in the time that you needed them? Because the people seemed highly motivated and wanted to do it, but wanting to do something and then actually doing it is sometimes a different thing.
4: I I don't think it was difficult. We're all so passionate and we've all been so transformed. And I think we're so grateful that lifestyle medicine found us or we found it, you know, somehow. And uh, no, it wasn't, it was such a collaboration. Like if you look at the front cover, the, in the title, even the title was, um, We voted and voted on titles for probably a month. Uh, This one, How Healers Heal, was a contribution from Dr. Mythica, who we just heard from. And then the subtitle and, and the cover design was Dr. Cherie Chu. And if you look at the word heal all the symbols on the cover, the apple, the person running. You no, know, I are- love it. It's I, I detected that. It's all the pillars of lifestyle medicine. Yes, can. all the pillars of lifestyle medicine. So like this was such an amazing collaboration uh, of everything. So the front cover was, you know, and the title and the back cover. Um, I designed the back cover. I pulled these quotes out from different chapters that I just thought were amazing. Um, I wanted to put all of our pictures because it was such a collaboration uh, to put it on the back cover. So uh, anyway, I think, I think think it was fun.
0: I think you should have an in-person conference or retreat with all the doctors there. So we can all meet, meet y'all in person.
4: We would love to do that for sure. Um, we would love to make our donation goal to the American college of lifestyle medicine, and then hopefully do a, like a celebratory meeting (laughs) next conference is the ideal time. I think it's in Florida should be amazing. Maybe we can piggyback a day before or a day after. You
0: know, know, maybe I should add that to the show notes in addition to the link to buy the book that all donations go to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine.
4: Yes, um, we're aiming to donate at least $10,000 for their HEAL scholarship for health equity.
0: Very nice. I'm excited that the audible version will be coming out soon. Did each doctor record their own segment?
4: That was the hope, uh, but... That is not the case. majority of it is recorded by me in a recording studio. Uh, I think about 10 or 12 doctors uh, did their own chapters. Um, But I think it's hard to get in a recording studio, the time commitment, all of those things. Um, But they were okay. Obviously, we've all talked to each other. Well, I've talked to every single one of the authors. So they know my voice. They trust my voice and my intonations and my emotions and into reading their chapters well. But again, as a collaboration, they've had access to the entire manuscript the whole time we were putting it together, although only finished chapters, um, and they have access to all the Audible files as I'm recording them in the studio and as they're being edited by the audio engineer, all the things. I'm learning so much about this process.
0: (laughs) That's great. And you have your own story in the book as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it all started. Um, so I just to make sure that I cover what you wanted us to cover, um, m- my practice is in Richmond, Virginia. I see mostly ophthalmology patients. I have thought about starting like a lifestyle medicine practice within it um, because it would be covered by insurance. I don't really do telemed except for dry eye consultations, but I've thought about adding the lifestyle medicine component because it has changed me so so much i am on social media mostly on facebook but thankfully now it's linked to instagram so everything posts to instagram as well um i probably need to hire a va for the the number of messages i get but if if you send me a message i may or may not respond the best way is probably through my office and through my staff here um just just to cover what you're saying um okay for my my chapter I wrote about chest pain, PCOS, and fertility. And I also gave some patient examples uh, that have been impacted by my lifestyle medicine teaching. So I'll just go through that briefly. Um, I this this first started about seven years ago, and I had an episode of chest pain when we were traveling to Florida and it felt like an elephant sitting on my chest. And it was it was scary because I, whenever we learned about elephants sitting on your chest, it's a heart attack. And um, I actually drove myself to the ER in Florida when we were vacationing with our older two children to Disney World and, you know, God admitted and, and checked everything out and everything was fine, thankfully, but it was a wake-up call to me, like, what is going on with my body? Um, so I started reading about nutrition. A, a doctor here in the community gave me a book called Beat the Heart Attack Gene, and that started my... Learning into nutrition, especially for heart health, and then I learned about Dr. Campbell's uh, plant-based medicine course on the eCornell website. I started taking that and became vegan and plant-based for the first time. And my, I never had any more chest pain. But the surprising thing about that change in diet is I've had PCOS since I was, you know, sixteen. Had irregular cycles. I know people don't talk about this a lot, but I think it's important to talk about um but within 3 months of being plant based and vegan my cycles were completely regulated like on the clock it was amazing so it made a huge impact in PCOS and then within 6 months of that change in diet i was pregnant again at the age of 40 <laughs> when i had had some infertility issues and um a miscarriage due to Other issues at pretty far along of twins of 21 weeks old, uh, which was devastating and heartbreaking. But just as the impact of this diet change is, you know, I had the surprise pregnancy at 40. And it didn't really hit me that it was due to my plant-based diet or vegan diet until I became pregnant again at age 42. So I had two surprise children because of lifestyle medicine, because of my change in diet, because of being plant-based. And and I mean, that's phenomenal. There's two more humans in the world because of me learning about lifestyle medicine. And maybe I'm heart attack free because of that. Uh, I know Dr. Bernard wrote a book, uh, his latest book, Your Body in Balance, talks about patients with PCOS and they're being regulated and improved fertility. So, I mean, there's so many stories out there, but I want to give women hope who have PCOS or infertility or irregular cycles that being plant-based is really important to regulate your hormones. For me, gluten was also a huge factor because it it is linked to infertility and miscarriage. So I'm also gluten-free. Are there any questions about that topic before I talk about I...
0: Actually, no. Actually, there was a question because you had mentioned you're an expert on dry eye and that you'll do a virtual consultation for that. And actually, Marsha said, you know, that she's already whole food, plant based, very strict on the diet. And do you have some recommendations uh, for dry eye? If if, because diet alone is not something that can help it, or is it?
4: Diet alone is not something that can help, but it is a huge factor. I my dry eyes. I've had dry eyes for since I was 25, and being gluten-free, which is a known cause of inflammation and being plant-based has helped my dry eyes a significant amount. But there are so many treatments for dry eye that people don't know about. Um, and that's why I wrote actually my first book before How Healers Heal uh, was just an exercise. It was um, Goodbye Dry Eye, that's this book. And um, I also wrote a, I'm doing a digital course just to walk patients through everything that's available for dry eye disease, because it's almost a mystery. It's like, you know, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, pick a eye drop on the shelf, which one is going to work for me. And I want people to have a systematic way of treating their dry eye. And in my book and in the course, I have a whole section on lifestyle medicine and the impact that different things can make on your eyes. But of course, there's many other therapies that would help.
0: Well, that sounds like an interesting standalone show. If you'd like to come back about treating dry eye, uh, um, she she follows up with the question that she also has blepharitis. Are the two often related?
4: You mean dry eye and blepharitis? Yes. that yeah. is. So blepharitis is just a, a word for crusty eyelashes oh. <laughs> and that, that's it. So, but yes, they are related. So blepharitis can be caused by um, especially sugar in balance. We know how inflammatory sugar is and, Um, the dysregulation of sugar can create poor secretion of your oil glands and your eyelids, and that can contribute to crusty eyelashes. Um, I don't know if I should talk about this, but that the main cause of bletheritis that I see in my practice is actually a little mite bug that lives in people's eyelashes called demodex. And of course they love sugar too. So cutting out sugar, processed sugar, um, is, is huge for helping bletheritis. But of course, If you have a mite, you need an anti-mite treatment medication. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Well, I want to move on to the patients. I wrote about a few of them in my book, but in the chapter, but I wanted to just point out some. My first foray into just using lifestyle medicine in my ophthalmology practice, I had a patient with scleritis, which is basically like an arthritis of the sclera, the white part of the eye. And she came in with this horrible nodular scleritis uh, due to rheumatoid arthritis. I think I have a video testimonial with her on my YouTube channel. She's amazing. Um, but I just told her about lifestyle medicine. I told her about being plant-based and decreasing her inflammation. I didn't know she would actually do it. I called her rheumatologist. We got put, put her on steroids, oral steroids, prednisone, which, you know, can cause weight gain, can cause blood sugar problems, all the things. And I saw her many times, but within um, two to three months, she, her scleritis was completely resolved and she had lost 60 pounds, which I was blown away. Cause you know, prednisone causes you to gain weight. And she was like, yeah, that day you talked to me, I went vegan and plant-based and my whole family's changed. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the fact that she was on steroids and lost weight and was able to get off steroids and control her scleritis. And that was like four or five years ago. she hasn't had another flare up, which is amazing. Recently, I had a patient just a month ago. I want him to get on camera because he's amazing, Uh, a 50 something year old. He's he's camera shy. So I'm going to hopefully get a testimonial on my YouTube from him, but he came in with double vision. He was admitted to the hospital. Nobody knew what it was. They sent him to me as an outpatient. I was like, this is all from diabetes. You just got diagnosed with diabetes. This double vision is a sixth nerve palsy. So that's the nerve, uh, one of the nerves that controls the muscles in the eye it was, was abnormal. And I was like, this is not forever. I promise you, if you change your diet, this will resolve in one month and your motility will come back, your double vision will be gone. And he actually took what I said to heart. He didn't become vegan, but he stopped pork, he stopped beef, he stopped all red meat, he stopped um, snacking, he stopped all processed sugar, which is amazing. So he's on chicken, fish and and plants. Um, and he's lost like, 35 pounds in a month. And he came back and he was like, almost in tears. He's like, you're so right. My double vision was gone in a week. Like, this is so powerful. No one recognizes me at work because I've lost so much weight. And I'm so happy. My diabetes is almost gone. I'm like, you know, I don't just, I could just be like, oh, this is what it is. Like, you know, you might need eye muscle surgery in the future, but I, I didn't do that. I shared the power of lifestyle medicine and gave him hope and he listened and, and took that and controlled his life and outcome. I have um, another patient who had a stroke. Um, this was an amazing story. She's like an 80 something year old. It's It's very sad actually, because she still has visual loss from it, but she had two strokes within three months of each other where she lost half of her vision and they were immediately one hour after eating bacon. <laughs>
0: Oh my god!
4: Uh, yeah, both of them. So when she comes in, of course, I'm doing the eye evaluation and her visual field and her pressure and discussing like what is happening. But I do- dove deep into. Her. I was like, so what did you do before this happened? Where? Um. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. That was a message for Dr. Malhotra. I apologize. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're great. You're great. And so I just was diving deep into her diet, and in my mind, and I even said it out loud to her. I was like, you know. I have a choice. Like, do I just tell you, you had a stroke and cause you're 84 years old or whatever. And like, this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. Or do I share with you everything I know? And I decided that I'm going to share with her everything I know. And I told her that, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm, I'm having this battle, but you know what? My job is just to educate and to tell you, oh, you know, that I think the bacon was the cause of your stroke. And she listened to me and she gave up. All red meat and processed meat. Actually, no, she didn't give up all. She because she still eats turkey bacon, but she hasn't had another stroke, so. Um, And then lastly, I just wanted to mention um, gluten and iritis and smoking as another pillar of health. So smoking is a huge factor for eye diseases. It increases your risk of glaucoma, increases your risk of macular degeneration, converting to wet macular degeneration and vision loss. It's a huge risk for iritis, which is inflammation of the iris, kind of like the scleritis. Um, and then gluten is also a linked thing. So I'm talking about smoking cessation and a lot of patients all the time. Anyway, so that, that I just love incorporating it into my discussions with my diabetics, with all the other eye diseases. And I hope I don't bore my patients <laughs> or your audience, but it's given me such a gift. Lifestyle medicine. I'm so grateful. And this book was a great opportunity to share my gratitude for the field.
0: Well, thank you so much. And all your, your work sounds so interesting and seriously, if you want to come back to talk about it, a live live viewer has a question named Angela saying, do dry eyes go away without antibiotics? I've never heard of that for dry eyes.
4: Yes, they, they do go away without antibiotics. Hands on the cause. Yeah. I would love to come back. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, No, it sounds like a fascinating topic. And uh, Deanna, D- Diana is saying that that she started developing dry eye after going through chemo.
4: That's a huge factor. My husband's a hematologist oncologist, so I I do see a lot of chemo induced dry eye, um, which is a whole s- separate subcategory. That's great. Well, thank you so much. This
0: was, you know, this whole idea is endless. I mean, you could do more, more, more versions of this with all kinds of doctors, Like You even, even have men sometime if you want, or, you know, just <laughs> actually uh...
3: Chef AJ at the book reading on Saturday, I haven't told Dr. Shelby this yet, but one of the men actually came up to me and was like, why is there only women in this book? And I was like, well, thanks for the inspiration. Maybe we need to create one with all men's stories and you'll be the first one. Cause he was uh, diagnosed with early stage colorectal cancer and, uh, just was sharing with me how his life transformed after he went whole food plant-based. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. that's great. Well, thank you so much for, for this, this wonderful idea. And I tell you, if you have a conference, I'd love to host it with just all the 33 wonderful oh,
4: clinicians. That was amazing. And I'm sure you heard from yesterday's authors. We're going to do a cookbook. We have a workbook and we're we are going to keep taking this message forward.
2: Um, the
0: cookbook's going to be amazing. I can already tell so last but not least is our co-host for this wonderful three-day event dr simran malhotra and i have the privilege of introducing her she's been on the show before she has an incredible story of her own healing that's very inspirational if you haven't seen it i really encourage you to watch it and or follow her on her instagram channel she's a mother of two she's triple board certified physician in internal medicine hospice and palliative care and lifestyle medicine, as well as a certified health and wellness coach. And she also completed the T. Colin Campbell plant-based nutrition certification and the chef culinary coaching certification, which I just first heard of yesterday from one of the doctors. It sounds amazing. I would love to take that if if a non-clinician can do that. She's been featured on several blogs and podcasts where she shared her unique perspective and experience from palliative care, as well as from being a a genetic mutation carrier who's passionate about using lifestyle as medicine. She founded Wellness by Lifestyle, a platform where she educates women at high risk for cancer with or without genetic mutations on the powerful impact that positive lifestyle changes. um, We'll have her other information like socials and website in the show notes. Please welcome my co-host, Dr. Simran Malhotra. You know, I'm thinking palliative care, that's not somebody like we really want to see, right? <laughs> if we don't have to.
3: <laughs> yes, you you don't want to see me in that capacity. Um, although, uh, you know, I recently, I'm embarking on this journey of figuring out how to incorporate lifestyle um, into my palliative care practice for my seriously ill patients. Because as we know from the works of, you know, Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Ornish, even people living with advanced disease can benefit from uh, these principles, especially uh whole food plant-based diet. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I do do uh, wellness lifestyle coaching, um, small, small amounts of it, but I do do that. So, uh, and then a lot of uh, content I create for Instagram. So anyone can follow, follow me there. So today I'm going to read you a, a page and a bit of my chapter um, and then share kind of the transformative uh, piece that I learned over the last eight years. Uh, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about um, food for uh, cancer risk reduction, particularly breast cancer, if that's something that's interesting. Uh, so I am chapter 14 in the book um, and the title goes, our genes do not determine our destiny. A palliative care doctor and BRCA1 previvor's journey to embracing lifestyle and mindset. It starts with a quote that says sometimes the bad things that happen in our lives put us directly on the path to the best things that will ever happen to us and it's by uh reed cancer and i crossed paths for the first time when i was only 13 years old when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at the young age of 33. since then i have had many life-altering experiences my own Those are the people closest to me, and even the stories shared by many of my seriously ill patients, some of whom shared two things in common with me, a genetic mutation, cancer, or both. Eight years ago, in 2015, I was 27 years old, finishing up residency and getting ready to tie the knot with the love of my life, when I got my genetic test results back, showing that I carried the breast cancer 1 or BRCA1 genetic mutation. The same mutation I had read about in medical school that can now magnify my lifetime breast cancer risk by up to 87% and ovarian cancer by 50 to 60%. And just a side note, the average woman's risk, uh, lifetime risk of breast cancer by the age of 75 is about 12% and ovarian cancer is uh, less than 5%. So I had a massively increased risk. I remember sitting in the genetic counselor's office with my fiance when she shared the results of my pathogenic BRCA1 gene. Tears streamed down our cheeks as we held hands tightly, both of us feeling a rush of emotions in that moment. We were all too familiar with what cancer looks like up close, which left us feeling even more overwhelmed with all that may lay ahead. A year prior, my mom had discovered that she carried the BRCA1 uh, variant as well and I encouraged her to retest many years after her initial diagnosis and following the news of another close family member who had recently been diagnosed with primary peritoneal carcinoma, an aggressive and rare form of ovarian cancer. This diagnosis was the red flag that sounded the alarm for me that something in my family was not right. From there, I began digging into my maternal history, which was hard since discussing cancer, illness, and death is just not what we do in my family nor is it part of the cultural South Asian norm. And as I share now, as a palliative care physician who's been caring for the most seriously ill people over the last eight years, nobody likes talking about death. It doesn't matter who you are and where you're from. Yet I persisted. What I found was shocking. Sadly, nine women in my family, 10 as of today, have experienced some form of breast or ovarian cancer. My mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor and thriver today. A number of these courageous souls are no longer with us here at Earthside. The year I found out about my mutation was the year I also started my specialty training in hospice and palliative care, a field specializing in caring for people living with serious life-threatening illnesses, often nearing the end of their physical life. This was an especially challenging time as I tried to navigate understanding what my genetic mutation meant for me and my future while also caring for several young patients with advanced cancers. I began to see up close what cancer can take away from a patient and a family, but also what resilience and hope look like. There was one young woman in her 40s with advanced ovarian cancer who happened to carry the same genetic mutation as me, who changed my life. A few days before she died, she found out from her sister I carried the same mutation as she did. And she said, Simran, don't let this happen to you. Do whatever you need to do to live a full life. Stay alive for your future children. You have a choice. In that instant, she lit the flame of curiosity, knowledge, and power in my heart. I learned how to use that fire to make informed decisions about my life and learned not to take no for an answer, even from a lot of doctors. This was exactly the sense of control I needed when everything around me seemed chaotic and uncertain. At that time, I didn't know exactly what that meant for me, but I vowed to find out. The next steps became clear as I met with a medical team made up of genetic counselors, oncologists, breast surgeons, plastic surgeons, all who shared with me the latest data on risk reduction in women carrying a BRCA1 mutation, particularly with my strong family penetrance, which included serial imaging and surveillance, as well as prophylactic surgeries once I was done childbearing. So here I was, 27 years old, and I had five very big life milestones that needed to be accomplished within the next six years. One of them was prophylactic surgeries per my medical team by the age of 33 the same age my mom was first diagnosed with breast cancer. So fast forward to 2020, and I ended up having a bilateral risk-reducing double mastectomy with aesthetic flat closure and a total hysterectomy putting me in surgical menopause at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic working as a palliative care physician, married to a critical care physician with two little kids under the age of two and all our family in Canada. Sometimes I have to take a minute to even process that year. And I can say, although I haven't lived my whole life yet, I can say that 2020 will go down as one of the most challenging years of my life but also the year that I grew into the strongest version of myself. And while (laughs) surgeries radically reduced my risk of cancer, today my breast cancer risk is less than 5%, ovarian cancer, same, less than 1% to 2%. What actually saved me as a mother, as a wife, as a doctor, and as a human being is actually when I discovered the power of lifestyle and mindset as medicine. And so I've spent literally the last eight years doing extensive research, trainings, certifications in anything and everything that I could find that was lifestyle and mindset as medicine, evidence-based of course. And what I learned was everything my doctors told me wouldn't help because I have a genetic mutation. What I learned was everything that wasn't taught in medical school or in my residency training. And here's what I've learned. It really comes down to this. And I'm not sure if I shared this yesterday, but wellness is a mindset and that is determined by something called our state, which I can then break down into three aspects. Our state is made up of our focus and beliefs, our language and our physical body. Our focus and beliefs is the way we see the world. It's our model of the world. It's the way we choose to see the everyday things and events that happen in our world. It's the questions that we ask ourselves. Like I said yesterday, is life happening to me or is life happening for me? Is there something in this moment, despite the chaos that I can learn or grow from, despite the pain? And like I mentioned yesterday, it's about controlling the controllables, controlling the controllables versus sitting in fear of getting cancer one day. Number two is about our language. Our language is the words that we use to describe our experience. It's the meaning that we give our circumstances. So for me, the BRCA1 genetic mutation was always a blessing in disguise. Did I have moments of debilitating fear and anxiety? Yes, especially because I worked with young dying patients, but I always looked at my genetic mutation as a gift. Why? Because The meaning I gave it was it was the privilege that my mom and my patients did not get. And I know that if any of them had the chance to do something to reduce their risk of cancer, they would have taken it in a heartbeat, especially because some of them might even still be alive today. And number three is our physical body. This is the food that we're eating. This is the way we're moving our body. This is the people we're surrounding ourselves with. These things have so much impact in their ability to reduce our risk of cancer. There is nothing that will completely take away every risk of any disease, but there's a lot that we can do to control and reduce our risk. And as a palliative care physician who's taken care of seriously ill and dying patients for the last several years now, I can tell you based on my own experience and the experience of my patients, that your lifestyle, the food you eat, the way you move, all of these things are the greatest investment that you can make for your quality of life, not just for today, but also for your future to reduce your risk of chronic disease in the future. And all of this doesn't just affect you, it also affects everybody in your life. Because I can tell you that when you get sick, it affects everyone in your circle. And so I've learned that through focusing and having the proper beliefs and through language and through the things we do with our physical body, we have the ability to live in a beautiful state, even in the most chaotic times of our lives. And what I'll share with you just in closing, and then we can answer some questions, is that we don't experience life. We experience the life that we focus on. And Chef AJ, I know you wanted to talk yeah, more about plants. Yeah. Well, we're going we're, we yeah, to
0: actually you're going to be back to you're going to be back tomorrow for part three, and you know, very often in between speakers, there's some time to to mention things while we're getting to the next speaker. So we would love to hear more from you about how you've implemented the diet in your life and in your family's life. But you have such a powerful, powerful story, and I hope people will will either read the book and I was going to say, listen to it then. It's not on Audible yet and read and glean it then or follow you on Instagram or perhaps just watch the previous interview we did.
3: Yes, no, for sure. I I know one of the questions you had uh, wanted to talk about, I know we're at time, but maybe tomorrow in between one of the interviews, we can talk about some of the, plant powered foods that we can use to reduce our risk of cancer. That was where my journey started when I found Dr. Michael Greger and read How Not to Die, it completely changed my life. Um, so I'm so passionate about talking about food as medicine and I would love to talk more about that tomorrow.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for helping me do this because if for no other reason, some of the names are really hard to pronounce.
3: <laughs> of course, of course. Well, I think day two was incredible so many of the doctors shared as I just did uh very deep vulnerable and uh personal stories um you know they talked about advocating for yourself they talked about empowerment um and we we learned so much about You're how to turn how our pain into our purpose um not only to help ourselves but to help all our patients so that is the that is a wrap for day two and we will be back with uh Several more speakers tomorrow uh, for day three of the How Healers Heal Book Summit on Chef AJ.
0: Oh, Thank you so much, Dr. Malhotra. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for day three of the How Healers Heal Summit. And if you missed yesterday, you can watch it. And tomorrow, we hope you'll come back. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.